Welcome back, Factor Fantasy fans. It's Chase and Josh here, brought into part two of Order of the Phoenix, where we'll be tackling chapters 9 through chapter 12. Uh, I do want to say before we get started, Chase and I actually went out to Tampa. Uh, congratulations to the Buccaneers on winning the Super Bowl and Tom Brady on winning his seventh ring. That's unprecedented. I'm a Giants fan. He's a Falcons fan, so we have like no love for him. You know, like he, <laughs> you know, he beat Chase's team in the Super Bowl. My team beat him twice. You know, but this guy's just a competitor, man, and I've never seen anything like it. But it was really cool to be out there in Tampa while the Super Bowl was going on, being a part of the energy of the crowd, and it was one of those experiences I'm not going to forget. And uh, Chase and I were supposed to meet up. It didn't work out. We had some miscommunication there, so we were both in the same area for the Super Bowl and just didn't <laughs> didn't meet up. So. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, but talk to him a little bit about your experience out there. Yeah, man, it was it was really cool. Uh, I mean, as far as they have this big festival that goes down there every year, uh, so they had this massive like ship set up on the water that they were shooting off fireworks. So that was pretty cool. Uh, first night went down. That's where the miscommunication happened. So Josh thought I was hanging out with him Saturday, and I thought I was hanging out with him Sunday. So then we both made plans with opposite people. And we just missed each other's phone call. So it was wild. <laughs> but it was an awesome town, man. That town was lit down there. Um, yeah, we went to... Uh, it was like a like a skyroof bar on the lake. But what was so cool about it was this bar was, like, turfed. So, like, the entire thing was, like, turfed and had, like, Christmas lights and stuff. So it was, it was wild, man. It was packed. I... I and ironically, really funny story. So uh, my friend uh, that was with me, she was like checking out all the people there. And she was like saying how, you know, most people there really aren't like the Tampa crowd at the moment because there were so many tourists in the area. So she was like, let me find a Tampa guy for you. Uh, so she like picks out one guy in the crowd and goes, that guy looks like he's from Tampa. And I was like, wait. I know that guy. <laughs> that was my friend from high school, like literally 10 years ago, just standing there, like randomly in the bar. So it was uh, it was an awesome time, man. Uh, I thought the halftime show was pretty good. I mean, I got a lot of uh, slack on that on Facebook because people kept saying, no, Prince was way better, all this stuff. And I'm like, I get it. Like Prince is a classic. You can't really beat Prince. But also, you know, it's the weekend, so I'm a little bit biased. I was really hoping he would have played often. Every day I sit often. But, you know, I guess you got to kind of edit that one out. But what about you, my man? Uh, you got a sick time on Sunday, didn't you? Oh, I sure did, man. And talking about the, the weekend's performance, one of my really good friends, uh, we're both from the same area in New York, and it's funny, we actually didn't meet till, uh we both came down here on an internship. His name's Keenan Williams. He actually performed in the halftime show uh, with The weekend. Uh, he actually he's starting yeah. to get some of that recognition he's been deserving for a long time. He's a great dancer, great performer, um, and he That's actually awesome. got interviewed by the radio station up in Syracuse, New York, uh, for what he did at the halftime performance with The Weeknd. So he deserved that. Shout out Keenan! Uh, congratulations, man. It's been a long time coming. Uh, outside of that, my my experience was awesome. Getting to go to the stadium on Sunday, uh, getting all the pictures, being around the crowds. Like I said, that, that vibe and energy and just atmosphere was was untouchable. I mean, this is, I mean, guys, keep in mind, this is the first time a home team has played a Super Bowl in their own stadium in NFL history. This is Super Bowl 55. It's never been done before. 
So this is this is already going to be a crazy experience as it was. So put that on top of it. Uh, when that final uh, the clock ran out and hit double zero, uh, the place I was at it erupted. Doing like the Soldier Boy on bar tops. We were you know <laughs> shots everyone stuff going up in the air. It was just an amazing experience. I was so happy to be a part of it. It's one of those things where I wasn't going to miss it for the world. I'm a huge football fan. Like I only live about an hour and a half away from Tampa. There's no way I was not going to go out there and experience that. You know, it's not. It's never going to happen again. So, I had an amazing time, man. Um, outside of that, traffic on the way back sucked. Uh, I hated the traffic on the way back. <laughs> I was stuck. I was stuck. In, if anyone knows who's listening, uh, I4 traffic in in Central Florida is probably the worst. The, I, the worst traffic I've ever experienced. And you know, again, being from New York, that's saying something. But. Uh, yeah, it was it was a pain, but now I'm excited to to be here. Uh, you know, weekend weekend after putting out our part two episode for Order of the Phoenix. Uh, yeah, do you want to add anything to it? Are you gonna jump on in? What are you thinking? Yeah, man, we can jump on in. Yeah, traffic was a nightmare going back. I uh, left at like literally six in the morning that day, and I got back at ten thirty. And we live an hour away, but uh, just. Uh, feeding back on what you said yeah I mean you we really had no excuse to not go down there I mean an hour away people travel across the country uh, for Super Bowls when one was literally sitting here basically in our backyard so it was Wait, an good. awesome time uh, great stuff uh, I put out my um, uh, Wednesday it came out uh, my uh, uh, interesting facts special features episode so that was pretty cool um, talked a lot of cool stuff about uh nymphadora tonks and like her training on how she became an aurora so uh check that out if you like that kind of all that extra stuff because we always want to bring you the content you want um but yeah i'll let you go ahead and kick us off man you actually just made me think of one other thing about that game when you just said people travel from all over the country the people that were directly next to us drove from kansas city missouri to come to tampa to watch this wow. game so the people we were like they, we were sitting right next to chiefs fans and they were not very happy with the game they were they were sad and dejected the whole time but the fact of the matter is yeah you're right it's in our backyard no excuse these people drove from kansas city missouri <laughs> to go to tampa florida to watch the super bowl so pretty special experience man but yes everyone check out chase's uh special episode on interesting facts it's got a lot of cool stuff in there uh things that you won't find in the actual story itself and you know, we'll continue on doing what we did uh, for part one here, which was chapters one through eight, kind of all the way through where we will not, we will no longer have a foreshadowed events section and we're cutting down our interesting facts to one per episode. So that way we can get more of the debates in and all that great stuff. So before we get started here to give a quick recap of the things that we covered in part one of Order of the Phoenix, chapters one through eight, uh, you know, just starting out with Harry at the Dursley's house kind of really upset and feeling left out that no one's contacting him he's like trying to check the muggle news to see if there's any signs of Voldemort because the daily prophet's not reporting anything uh he ends up getting attacked by dementors we find out his neighbor's a squib uh he has the advance guard finally come and pick him up and bring him to the uh the number 12 grimold place which is the headquarters of the order of the phoenix we get to find that out a little bit uh, he ends up getting in a little bit of trouble because of the Dementors. He did magic outside of school, which he's underage. is not allowed to do that in the presence of muggles, no less. So then he's got to go to this hearing, figure out if he's going to be expelled, if his wand's going to be snapped in half, if he's going to go to Azkaban. He's got no idea what's going to happen. He ends up going to the hearing. Dumbledore steps in. 
uh, says a few words, and uh, he's off, and Harry's free. He's not expelled. He's going to be going back to school. So it's kind of where we left off uh, last week, and that's going to pick us up and in going into uh, Chapter 9 today. So should we uh, get right on into it, get a quick little cheers, brother, and start rocking this thing out? Yeah, man. Malice in the chalice, brother. Good stuff. Cheers, buddy. All Who right. gave you the order? <laughs> Let's do this thing, Heck man. Yeah, man. I'll let you start Good us stuff. off. It's it's your favorite book, so get on into it. Uh, starting here at chapter nine, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. Oh, man. Great stuff. Um, so, yeah, this chapter was really cool. Um, a lot of really, actually, a lot of really good detail in this chapter uh but the first thing that i have here uh, just kicking us off was cornelius fudge is like spotted talking to lucius malfoy after the hearing uh which is a bit shady <laughs> to me like if i see that going on really makes me wonder what's going on right and uh just this quote here uh but i mean you know harry even like kind of brings up for a moment uh like just like what like something shady is definitely going on it says the minister was just telling me about your lucky escape potter dowled mr malfoy quite astonishing the way you continued to wiggle out of your tight holes snake-like in fact yeah i'm very good at escaping (laughs) said harry lucius tells harry uh then at this point like that the private matters between the concern between the minister and him is not of Harry's. So obviously you kind of see, it really makes you wonder at this point, did Lucius pay a lot of these people off to make sure that Harry was convicted at this hearing? Um, So there's a lot of questions that are to be raised about what's going on. And then, of course, Harry, at the same time, is hearing, like, this clinking in his pocket. And uh, it sounds exactly like what you would hear as gold <laughs> all in Lucius's pocket. So something shady's uh, going on, man. And Arthur even, like, starts talking about that, uh, you know, he suspects the gold is between the business of Lucius and Fudge. So something's definitely uh, not right here. And... So Arthur even says uh, uh, he gets with the right people, delays laws that he doesn't want passed, and oh, he's very well connected, Lucius Malfoy. Uh, so something's going on here, man, that isn't right. And with that, I'll turn it back on over to you, brother. Yeah, the, the one thing I had before, just before the uh, interaction with Lucius Malfoy, is the fact that Mr. Weasley was shocked that Harry was tried by a full court. Cause that's like that's crazy. Right. Like he's 15 years old, getting tried as an adult wizard, as if like he was a, on trial for being a Death Eater. Remember in Book Four when right. they were in the Pensieve, he is in that same room with all of the wizard gamut, like looking down on him, trying him as a criminal when he did like a little bit of underage magic. <laughs> like so, <laughs> right. it's pretty crazy. Uh, then to, like to your point, you were talking about the whole uh, Malfoy thing. That's the first time Harry's seen Lucius Malfoy since the graveyard. Because Harry knows he's a Death Eater. He saw them all there himself. And so uh, that that's pretty... Like, Harry brings up a good point, too, of, like, how do we know that Fudge isn't acting under the Imperious Curse? Like, you know, right. like, he, he says that because that's one of the Voldemort's, like, like 
MOs. And if Lucius Malfoy is super close to Fudge because they've been had they have a great business relationship even throughout the other books in the beginning, like how do we know that Lucius hasn't put him underneath the Imperious Curse under Voldemort's orders? And like Mr. Weasley says, well, don't think the thought hasn't occurred to us, but you know at this point we think that Fudge is acting of his own accord. But anyways, I just thought that that was something that I wanted to, to bring up there. Um, page one fifty seven. We got some pretty interesting things here, uh, talking about like Harry scar burning. So it says, well, of course, once Dumbledore turned up on your side, there was no way they were going to convict you, said Ron happily, now dishing great mounds of mashed potatoes onto everyone's plate. Yeah, he swung it for me, said Harry. He felt that it would sound highly ungrateful, not to, not to mention childish, to say I wish he'd talked to me or even looked at me. And as he thought this, the scar on his forehead burned so badly that he clapped his hand to it. So... I thought that was important because when he thinks of Dumbledore in anger, his scar starts hurting. And that's something that's also like a foreshadow that comes up later on in the book. And the last thing I'll have here before I turn it back over to Chase is on page 158, talking about uh, with Sirius Black and how Harry's kind of like a little bit sad that he knows he's not going to be staying with Sirius. Hermione, Hermione and Mrs. Weasley kind of have... They, they annoy me with their attitude towards Sirius, but I, I understand it logically, but it's kind of messed up. Anyways, she says, Don't you go feeling guilty, said Hermione sternly after Harry had confided some of his feelings to her and Ron while they scrubbed out a moldy cupboard on the third floor a few days later. You belong at Hogwarts, and Sirius knows it. Personally, I think he's being selfish. That's a bit harsh, Hermione, said Ron, frowning as he attempted to prize off a bit of mold that attached itself firmly to his finger. You wouldn't want to be stuck inside this house without company. He'll have company, said Hermione. It's the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, isn't it? He just got his hopes up that Harry would be coming to live here with him. I don't think that's true, said Harry, wringing out his cloth. He wouldn't give me a straight answer when I asked him if I could. He just didn't want to get his hopes up even more, said Hermione wisely. He, and he probably felt a little bit guilty himself because I think a part of him was really hoping you'd be expelled and then you'd be outcast together. So then he says, come off it said Ron and uh, Harry together, but Hermione merely shrugged. Suit yourself, but sometimes I think Ron's mom's right, and Sirius gets confused about whether you your father or yourself, Harry. And then Harry says, so you think he's touched in the head? No, I just think he's been lonely for a very long time. So that's, this, uh, that's the part I'll turn it back over to you. Just the last thing I'll just have to say about it is that, like, it's, it's going to come up later. This constant feeling of Sirius being stuck alone in the house, not doing anything he deems as useful, this is going to be a problem that's going to keep arising. And so, like I said, with that, I'll pass it on over to you, my man. Yeah, man. I do have to agree with you on that. I mean, it seems logical what Hermione is saying, but uh, keep in mind, Sirius was by himself in Azkaban. <laughs> I don't think he cares about being lonely for the next year. But so I 100%. Um, the next thing I really had was the books for the next, uh, for the upcoming year that they had uh, that's new is the Standard Book of Spells, Grade 5 by Miranda Gorshock. Uh, then you have the Defensive Magical Theory by Wilbert Slinkhand. And that's a big part because uh, Fred winds up mentioning that, of course, the cursed position, man, with the new assignment of the Slinkhand book. There's a new defense against the dark arts professor. He says, uh, well, we overheard mom and dad talking about the ex <laughs> talking on the extendable ears a few weeks back, and Dumbledore was having a real trouble finding anyone to do the job this year. Not surprising. 
is that when you look at what's happened uh, to the last four, one's sacked, one's dead, one's memory removed, one locked in a trunk for nine months, <laughs> said Harry, counting them off his fingers. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> like, I mean, that's... Uh, <clears throat> they have some bad luck with defense against the dark arts professors, man. Um, that's just rough. <laughs> and then, uh, so Ron, uh, this is kind of a big deal here, receives a letter to be a prefect. And I was pretty happy for him at this point. Uh, you know, everyone's kind of jumping for joy. And Harry's, <laughs> Harry's feels some type of way, <laughs> to put it nicely. Yeah, and... Uh, he, it says, you know, Harry was seeing something scarlet gold fall out of uh, George, uh, George's palm. And then it was that prefect badge that has... This was cool. Like, I thought the prefect badge is really cool. Because it has, like, the Gryffindor lion in the shape of, like... Uh, I guess it's, like... I guess it's, like, in the shape of a P is what it said. So, like, the letter P for prefect... So I thought that was, like, really cool. Um, and uh, this isn't that big of a deal. It's just it, it does foreshadow Ron and Hermione's future. Hermione sticks up for Ron and says, uh, I said Hermione, uh, looking uh, thoroughly bewildered, I, well, wow, well done, Ron. That's really unexpected, said George, nodding. No, said Hermione, blushing harder than ever. It is. It's not. It's Ron. Ron's done loads. He's really, like, it just goes to show, like, everyone's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, George is kind of like, how'd you get that job? <laughs> like, did you pay somebody or something? And, uh, you know, Ron is really, like, Hermione's sticking up for him here. And Miss Weasley winds up, you know, she's overly thrilled <laughs> for her son, which is, which is great. But she, like, kind of puts on that more feeling of jealousy for Harry and she's like I don't believe it I don't believe it oh Ron how wonderful a prefect that's everyone in the family what are Fred and I uh, next door neighbors said George indignantly as his mother pushed him aside and flung his arms around her youngest son and then Miss Weasley offered to get Ron a like huge reward for becoming a prefect and Ron of course this is kind of a little bit of foreshadowing here uh, I won't tell you why, but it, he asked for a broom. And uh, that's when, like, you know, her face is falling to the floor. And Ron even, like, tries, like, you can tell he really wants one. And he's like, not really a good one, uh, Ron hastened to add. Just, just a, a new one for a change. And that's when Miss Weasley, like, just hesitated and smiled and says, of course you can. Well, I better get going. I've got a broom to buy, too. I'll see you later. Little Ronnie, a prefect. Oh, I'm all of, uh, I'm all of, I'm all of lither. Uh, I'm all dither. I'm all the tither. H e r. I'm all the tither. Yeah, I'm all, all the, the tither. tither. Gotcha. All the tither. That's why I um, don't read my notes usually. I read from the book there. All of a tither. She gave Ron yet another kiss on the cheek, sniffled loudly, and bustled and rustled, bustled from the room. Um, so Miss Weasley's kind of like. It's really amazing, like, things she does. Like, going back to even Chamber of Secrets, like, even if they don't have the money for it, she does everything she can for her family. Like, uh, even going to the point of, remember when, you know, Harry gave Ginny those books in Chamber of Secrets that Lockhart gave him for free. 
well, before then, she was just telling them because they needed all Lockhart's books. We'll manage. Like, she didn't have the money for it. So it just shows, like, she always does everything she can uh, for her family there. But, um, you know, Harry at this point is <laughs> not exactly um, a big fan of what's going on because he feels like he's just kind of left out, I guess, because he's done all this work, um, like, as far as, like, you know, taking down the Sorcerer's Stone and that sort of thing. And he feels like he's not getting enough credit. Um, and he says, Well, Ron and Hermione, Hermione were with me most of the time, said the voice in Harry's head. Not all the time, though Harry argued with himself. They didn't fight Quirrell with me. They didn't take on Riddle and the, and the Basilisk. They didn't get rid of all those Dementors the night Sirius escaped. They weren't in the graveyard with me the night Voldemort returned. Um, I've definitely done more, Harry thought indignantly. I've done more than either of them, but maybe, said the small voice fairly, maybe Dumbledore doesn't choose prefects because they've gotten themselves into a load of dangerous situations. Maybe he chooses them for other reasons. And uh, that's on page 167, and it says, Ron must have something you don't. Uh, so he's kind of going back and forth with himself, but we see this a lot through this book with Harry. Like, he... He feels bad for himself a lot. Like, someone's got to tell him, like, get over himself, man. Like, he's not the only person in the world that hasn't been chosen to be a prefect before. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Cool. Uh, just if people want to know what the prefect package looks like, it's, there's literally an image of it on the Chapter 9 thing itself. On the illustration, you can look there, and it shows you exactly what the prefect badge looks like. A um, couple things to go through here to catch up with you. Uh... I, with Harry him, thinking to himself that living at the Order's headquarters was quite mundane, uh, that's on page 160. You know, one, mundane's kind of like boring, right? So if Harry is already feeling bored there for the month that, that he was going before school, like, you can imagine what Sirius is feeling like, kind of just stuck there for all, all the time. Um, from there, like you said, Ron being made a prefect is kind of a full circle moment because he saw back in Sorcerer's Stone in the mirror of Erised. I mean, in that mirror, he saw himself being made as the head boy, but, you know, Prefect is pretty dang close, so, uh, that, and then he probably would have been made head boy if certain things didn't transpire uh, in book seven, where they don't, I don't want to get into it, but, uh, but anyways, he probably could have made that come to fruition, too. Um, I, I liked in page 162, Fred and George joking about uh, Harry's priorities, um, <laughs> and, like, one thing that I thought was really, well, let me read that first, the joke that Fred makes, and I'll talk about, like, the Hermione and Ron thing. When uh, George tells Fred, he's like, I suppose all the mad stuff must have counted against him, talking about Harry. And Fred says, yeah, yeah, you've caused too much trouble, mate. Well, at least one of you got your priorities, right? So I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> to pick on Ron a little yeah. bit and give him a little shot. But, like, Hermione, one thing that we didn't mention that I don't want to gloss over it's not that she just was like proud of Ron. At first, she thought it was Harry. Like she just immediately dismissed Ron. Like it wasn't him. Yeah. Like she like looks at the prefect badge in Harry's hand and she's like, "Oh, Harry, I knew you get it too." And Ron's <laughs> like, "Oh, true. wow, yeah. that's messed up, man." And then when she then she got like got got caught with her foot in her mouth, so to speak. 
you know, when she realized it was Ron, she starts, like, stammering, like, you were doing, like, studying, stuttering all over the place, like, uh, oh, shoot, yeah, well, Ron's on lots of good stuff, like, so, <laughs> and then after they start picking on him, that's when Hermione kind of sticks up for him, and, you know, kind of gets Fred and George to back off a bit, but I also thought it was funny, too, like, you, you mentioned this, talking about, uh, Mrs. Weasley is like everyone. That's everyone in the family. And Fred and George are like, what? That's what's. What are we next door neighbors? Like, so it is interesting that of all the people that have been through the Weasley family in Gryffindor, all of them except Fred and George have been prefixed. You start out with Bill, then Charlie, then Percy, now Ron. So Fred and George. Well, I guess Ginny's still there too. I guess we never really find out if she's made a prefect or not, or maybe we do, and I don't remember. I guess I'll find out uh, next book, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyways. To kind of continue on from that, I wanted to talk about because you mentioned page 167. I like 167 because it kind of tells you all the things that Harry's overcome throughout his year. So I'm going to read them here. So mm-hmm. uh, they didn't fight Quirrell with me, like you said. They, they didn't take on Riddle and the Basilisk. They didn't get rid of all the mentors and the nice escape, and they weren't there in the graveyard with me the night Voldemort returned, just as you said. But those are all amazing things that he's accomplished in his first four years of being in school in the magical community keep in mind before he was 11 he didn't even know he was a wizard so he finds out he's a wizard like gets past Quirrell with the Sorcerer's Stone and all the trials that he had to get through to get there then like he said he's down there in the bat with the basilisk and uh and Tom Riddle's memory in the diary fighting both of them off <laughs> then he's you know trying to help Sirius escape on Buckbeak with the time turn with Hermione, then he's watching Voldemort come back, like, he's done a lot like, he's done more in four years than most full-grown wizards do in their lifetime when it comes to, you know, getting past some dark wizardry, so just pretty cool there to kind of see all the things he's done in a, in a nutshell um, and then in page 169, I think it's pretty cool to talk about all, like, the, the real Alistair Moody, because obviously all of last book is, was an imposter, this Alistair Moody really is as paranoid as like they make him out to be. He talks right. about like um, when they he he starts looking around and, and talking about what they're going to be doing to get to the Hogwarts Express. Like he's always super worried. Even Tonks has to like tell him to chill out a bit. Like he's talking about like you know remember in the, in the advanced guard like in the last episode that we did last week. He was like, you know, maybe we should double back and stuff. And like, dude, we're almost there. Like, relax. Like, he's just so <laughs> paranoid about, you know, what's going on. Uh, it's just good to see his characteristics weren't overblown at all. This is actually how Alistair Moody is. And it's pretty remarkable that Barty Crouch Jr. was able to uh, convince everybody who he was. Like, even Dumbledore for the better part of the year. So, with that, man, I'll, I'll toss it back over to you and we'll keep rolling. Yeah, man. Uh, no, you, you hit some great stuff. Just kind of uh, going back just a little bit, and I'll catch up to where you're at. Just Harry, you know, one thing I thought that was really big of him after he was debating back and forth, you know, thinking he was the one that deserved the prefect position there, uh, he did actually go up to Ron, and he was like, uh, basically just, you know, well done, mate. <laughs> like, that's all he really said, but... It just goes to show he kicked in his pride and did uh, did what was right. So that was good. And I, you know, uh, and, you know, they Ron even kind of goes back for a little bit and says, uh, I, it would have been you. And then Harry says, nah, I've caused too much trouble. Harry said, echoing to Fred. And I mean, that's a, actually a good point to make. Like, just because Harry's thinking about all these things, 
you know, he's done. He's done a lot of these things, right? But that's, I don't really think that's what a prefect they're looking for. Like, they're looking for more of, like, who's top in their grades, who's, like, I guess, like, Mr. Congeniality. Like, you got to remember, right? Like, just because Harry's done a lot of these things, he also has made a lot of enemies on the way. Like, Malfoy is definitely not the biggest fan. Like, you got a lot of people that also think Harry's been telling tales all summer. <laughs> I don't, I don't Prophet. necessarily think that it's a mis, Mr. Congeniality type deal. I think it's more of like, like who can we use to like keep their friends in check? Like who's going to be the people that we can rely on? Like Hermione was a lock-in choice. Like obviously Hermione was going to get it, but like right. I think that Dumbledore is kind of thinking because like actually, do you mind if I read this part right here? Because it's going to kind of support what I'm going to say. So. Anyways, this is talking. This we're at this part at the dinner table where they're talking about Hermione and Ron getting the prefect badge, and so Ron and Hermione beamed as everyone drank to them and applauded. I was never a prefect myself," said Tonks brightly from behind Harry as everybody moved toward the table to help themselves to their food. Her hair, her hair was tomato red and waist length today. She looked like Ginny's older sister. My head of house said I lacked certain necessary qualities. Like what? said Ginny as she was choosing a baked potato. Like the ability to behave myself," said Tonks. Ginny yeah. laughed. Hermione looked as though she didn't know whether to smile or not, and compromised by taking an extra large cup of butterbeer and choking on it. What about you, Sirius? Ginny asked, thumping Hermione on the back. Sirius, who was right beside Harry, let out his usual bark-like laugh. No one would have made me a prefect. I spent too much time in detention with James. Lupin was the good boy. He got the badge. I think Dumbledore might have hoped that I would be able to exercise some control over my best friends. I scarcely need to say that I failed dismally. And Harry's mood suddenly lifted. His father had not been a prefect either, and all at once the party seemed much more enjoyable. So the point I was bringing there is like, like Lupin was never Mister Congeniality. He was like poor, shabby clothes, a half a werewolf, never had any money or anything. Like even the Weasleys, they don't really have money like that. So the Dumbledore made Lupin back then the prefect to kind of keep James and Sirius under control. So I think maybe they made him that to kind of make sure Harry doesn't get in too much trouble. That's. Why I wanted to read that part. I thought that was kind of funny and serious. Like, oh, I spent I too much that. time in detention with James. I, don't, I, I wasn't made a prefix. So, anyways, I'll, I'll, that, I'll let you continue good. on. I just wanted to put my two cents in there for that. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. Because I was trying to think more of, like, as far as Percy, like, you know, having the top grades and that sort of thing. But that makes sense. Because I guess, like, Percy more kind of kept Fred and George in check a little bit so yeah that that actually makes 100 percent sense that's really good um the next thing i was gonna say as far as that like it kind of rubbed it in more to harry like when molly hung that massive banner <laughs> that said congratulations ron and hermione new prefects and then harry's just like sitting there like thanks <laughs> thanks and uh she gives ron his new broom which was pretty cool um and then uh, I'll turn it back over to you after I say this. This kind of leads up to where you were at. Um, Moody winds up verifying that it's a bogger in the writing desk um, that that Molly has, uh, which is going to play a really big role in this chapter. So, and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, brother. This sounds good. And you know, what? I think it's kind of good for Harry to not get so much the attention for once. Man, he's been like the most famous <laughs> wizard of his age but before he even knew he was a wizard like it's good to get him some humble pie there and and get let Ron <laughs> yeah, I think it's great yeah let Ron and Hermione <laughs> enjoy their moment they earned it they you know so um 
On page 171. You earned it. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, man. Okay, off to you, brother. Yeah, dude, so this is pretty cool. This is about Mundungus uh, doing some business dealings with Fred and George here. I thought this was pretty nice. And it, and it actually has some pretty interesting uh, information here, too, about uh, tentacula seeds. But anyway, so... Uh, so uh, I don't know, said Harry, looking slightly on it, being asked his opinion. He slid away from them in the direction of Fred and George, who were huddled in a corner with Mundungus. Mundungus stopped talking when he saw Harry, but Fred w- winked and beckoned Harry closer. It's okay, he told Mundungus. We can trust Harry. He's our financial backer. Look what Dung's got us, said George, holding out his hand to Harry. It was full of what looked like shriveled black pods. A faint rattling noise was coming from them, even though they were completely stationary. Venomous tentacula seeds, said George. We need them for the skiving snack boxes, but they're a Class C non-tradable substance, so we've had a bit of trouble getting a hold of them. Ten galleons to the lot, then, Dung? Uh, with all the trouble I want to get them? I'm sorry, lads. I'm not taking a nut under 20. Dung likes his little joke, Fred said to Harry. Yeah, the best one so far has been six sickles for a bag of gnarl quills. Be careful, uh, Harry warned the quality. What? Mom's busy cooking for cooing over Prefect Ron. We're okay. But Moody could have his eye on you, Harry pointed out. And Mundungus looked nervous older his shoulder. All right, good point. All right, lads, 10 it is if you'll take them quickly. So that's pretty cool. I'm always a friend of George guy, but uh, tentacular seeds are a class C non-tradable substance. Thought that was pretty interesting that it's easy to gloss over if you're just reading it for pleasure, right? Um, going on a little bit further from that, Harry's a little bit nervous about the potential repercussions if Mr. and Mrs. Weasley find out that Harry gave Fred and George a Triwizard winnings to start the joke shop. And also, Kingsley Shacklebolt raises a pretty good point on why Dumbledore should have made Harry a prefix, saying it would have shown confidence in him, like we believe in Harry. Kingsley kind of brings right. that up. He's like, I would, you know, if I was Dumbledore, I would have made Potter, you know, the prefect. Like it, make, like, you know, it would just show that even more, like rubbing it in the ministry's face, like I'm standing by my guy, Harry. So I thought yeah. that was a pretty good point that really Kingsley Shacklebolt raised. But at the same time, like. No one in the right rhyme would make Harry a prefect. He's getting in trouble all the th- every single year. So, anyways, <laughs> I'll pass it back on to your side. Yeah, no, you you brought up a really good point. One thing I was thinking about, though, like, why does it really matter if, like, Harry gave Fred and George, like, the Triwizard money? Is it just because, like, Molly didn't want them taking, like, free charity, basically? Like, I don't really understand why it was such a big deal. Like, he gave him a gift. It's not like they stole it or anything. As That's long as a they good use question. it for what it's intended for. I'm wondering if it's because Mrs. Weasley doesn't approve of what they're using it on. Like, she doesn't like the wizard, like, Weasley wizarding Weasley's stuff. Like, remember, she's trying to throw <laughs> away all their joke shop stuff in Goblet of Fire. Like, try to burn all what they had, like, their order forms right. and things like that. So, maybe it's not necessary. I mean, I'm sure that's part of it, not taking someone else's money. But I think maybe the overlying factor is that she disapproves of what they want to do as a career and so to think that Harry gave them a thousand galleons and then they're using it for this nonsense when they could be using it for the family and helping it whatever who who knows but I think that has more to do with it like she doesn't approve of what they're going to be using the money for so Harry's a little nervous there maybe that's my opinion I'm not sure but that's what I would think yeah no that that's actually a really good point that would make sense um so and then from there uh kind of what i had was moody shows harry the original photograph of the order of the phoenix which is really cool um so that that's really cool there and then uh the people next to moody in the picture was albus dumbledore uh, marlene mckinnon 
uh, Frank and Alice Longbottom, uh, Deadless Diggle. Uh, then you had Emmeline Vance, uh, Benji, uh, Fenwick, and um, then you had Edgar Bones, and then you also had, who is the brother of, I put some notes on the side, so because some of these people aren't as well known. So like Benji, Fenwick, uh, they found like bits and pieces of him, is what they were saying, which is like, basically means he was like blasted to smithereens right which is awful but that's exactly what happened um and then edgar bones was the brother of amelia bones um and then of course their family was uh him and his family were were killed too uh sturgic podmore uh cardak uh dearborn uh cardak dearborn actually vanished six months after the photo and they never found his body uh, Hagrid's in there, of course, our boy, Elphelius Dodge, uh, Gideon Pruitt, uh, he took five death years to kill him and his brother Fabian, uh, so I thought that was really cool. Um, Dumbledore's brother Aberforth, um, which we kind of hear a little bit about him uh, later on, uh, Dorcas Meadows, uh, Voldemort killed her personally, um, and then, of course, we have our, our yeah, your boy, Sirius Black is uh in that photo so i thought it was really cool um and then he you know harry is looking at wormtail james and lily in the photo because of course he you know still definitely always has that draw uh for missing his parents that he never really got to know um and they were just smiling back at harry and um it says harry even found the photo disturbing uh, really somewhat disturbing um, and he said then it says Harry saw someone uh, lowering against a dark a dark well her word and her wand whole body shaking with sobs sprawled on the dusty old carpet in the patch of moonlight and I'll let you take it from there because I'm not going to read the last one two three four words because that's a big moment and i'll let you take this huge moment man no no because like, honestly i want you to take it because you're talking about with mrs weasley up there with the bogger is that what you're talking about this is where we're at yeah. right now yeah. I'll, I'll let you take that just... big thing i only want to say a couple things on the picture just because like I, ha I have it kind of put out the same way you did about like the the members and what happened so of the um, original members of the order and i know you kind of went through it there but just to kind of put it succinctly so people can see who's not there anymore um, Benji Fenwick was killed. Edgar Bones was killed. Carado Dearborn vanished. They never found the body. Gideon Pruitt, like you said, killed. It took five Death Eaters to kill him and his brother Fabian. And Dorcas Meadowood, uh, Voldemort killed her personally. So there's so many people missing that are no longer part of the Order of the Phoenix because the original members of the Order, uh, they were taken out. So I wonder, though, because we got to see... The reason I bring this up because we got to see what happened to the people in the Order... I wonder how many Death Eaters they took care of, though. You know what I mean? Like, we see how many of the Orders no longer there, but, like, what was their sacrifice for? Did they, you know, put a lot of Death Eaters in Azkaban? Did they kill some of the Death Eaters? Did they get them out of the way? Like, I wish we got to see a little bit of the damage the original Order did to the Death Eaters and Voldemort supporters. I think that would have been cool. But that's, that's a really good point, and I don't think... that That's a really good point, because it makes you wonder. I almost feel like... In my head, I keep picturing, like, Death Eaters are, like, reoccurring. Like, they just, like, regenerate and they're back again. Almost like if you're playing a video game and it's like, these things, why won't you die? <laughs> it's like they just don't die. But um, 
cool thing that was in our uh, my interesting facts episode was we talked about um, Nymphadora when we talked about Nymphadora Tonks's history and how Moody recruited her. It was because she was finding out that recruits were coming out of Hogwarts that were Death Eaters uh, that they were establishing. So there were even people being recruited as young as age, you know, 15 and 16. So it's just wild. Um, so I, I don't think we would ever really find out, like, who knows how many were out there. Because I would imagine the Aurors probably took out a ton of those guys. Because I think I, I would... Com- I would favor an aurora any day over a death eater because anyone can really be a death eater as long as they're following the dark lord what do you think about that i, th- I think so too i just would like to see it like I, I would love to know like you know some of the things that, that some of voldemort's plans they thwarted in the beginning like you know it's cool to kind of see what's going on now and what they're trying to do but it have been great for like the original you know because history kind of repeats itself in a way so it'd be cool to kind of see we got this you know moody got to tell us about you know the people in the order that were were killed but let's, t- let's talk about like what everyone accomplished like how many death eaters did you put in azkaban how many did you take out how many were killed how many people did you save from the imperious curse before they did unforgettable stuff like you know what i mean like i just i'm just curious on that sense i would love, I'd love to know uh what these guys' sacrifices were for and how much because you know voldemort was was basically unstoppable until he tried to kill harry and the curse rebounded upon him so like if he was that unstoppable, how was the order still defying him, and how well were they succeeding? I would like to know that, but we don't. We don't really get to know. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you almost. Do you think it's a plot hole? Like that could very well. Be I like don't think a it's a plot, plot hole because it's it's not part of the the Harry Potter series. Like you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like it's before the series would have taken place as it is. So it's not really a plot hole in the Harry Potter series. It's just one of those pieces of information that would have been nice to be added to it. Or at least something maybe on one of those sites that she does sometimes and answers fans' questions if uh, mm-hmm. we got some more insight on it and see what you know she would have come up with. So yeah. I don't think it's more of a plot hole. Yeah, no, uh, sorry, just feeding off that real quick. I was going to say, I just feel like when she does that, like when I find out a lot of kind of my backstory information, which is cool, I feel like she's like trying, like I don't know, I will say this, like I don't know if that's really what the plan was. I just feel like, like, I know this is what she decided it would be. So I feel like she's like, oh, man, now I got to come up with something. And she comes up, like, with an elaborate story that ties in. So, but it uh, it makes it interesting. Like, everyone has to keep in mind, like, this is, it is a story. <laughs> but at the same time, that would be, it would be really cool to see something like that, like a prequel series, I would say. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, go ahead, man. Take take away the Mrs. Weasley and the Boggart section, man. I know what you were talking about and leading up to it. I want you to take this one. Uh, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. That's, uh, yeah, it's, this is a cool moment. Uh, so all of this can be found on pages 175 to 178. Uh, so uh, we're kind of towards the bottom of page 175 here, but uh, this is where I left off was uh, it said, so Harry tiptoed upstairs in the hall past the stuff elf heads glad to be on his own again but as he approached the first landing he heard noises someone was sobbing in the drawing room hello harry said there was no answer but the sobbing continued he climbed the remaining stairs two at a time walked across the landing and opened the drawing room door someone was cowering against the dark wall her wand in her hand her whole body shaking with sobs 
sprawled on the dusty carpet in a patch of moonlight, clearly dead, was Ron. All the air seemed to vanish from Harry's lungs. He felt as though they were falling through the floor. His brain turned icy cold. Ron? Dead? No, it can't be. But wait, it couldn't be. Ron was downstairs. Miss Weasley? Harry croaked. Ridiculous! Miss Weasley sobbed, pointing her shaking wand at Ron's body. Crack! Ron's body turned into Bill's. Spread eagle on his back, his eyes wide open and empty. Miss Weasley sobbed harder than ever. Ridiculous! She sobbed again. Crack! Mr. Weasley's body replaced Bill's, his glasses askew, a trickle of blood running down his face. No, said Miss Weasley, moaned. No, ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. Crack, dead twins. Crack, dead Percy. Crack, dead Harry. Miss Weasley, just get out of here, shouted Harry, staring down at his own dead body on the floor. Let someone else, What? what's going on? Lupin had come running into the room, closely followed by Sirius, with Moody stumping along behind them. Lupin looked from Miss Weasley to dead Harry on the floor and seemed to understand at an instant. Pulling out his own wand, he said very firmly and clearly, RIDICULOUS! Harry's body vanished. A silvery orb hung in the air over the spot where it had lain. Lupin waved his wand once more and the orb vanished in a puff of smoke. Uh, 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 gulped Miss Weasley. And she broke into a storm of crying, her face in her hands. Molly, said Lupin bleakly, walking over to her. Molly, don't. Next second, she was sobbing her heart out on Lupin's shoulder. Molly is just a boggart, he said soothingly, patting her on the head. Just a stupid boggart. I, I see them d d dead all the time, Miss Weasley moaned into her shoulder. All the time! I d d dead dream about it. Sirius was staring at the patch of carpet where the boggart pretending to be Harry's body had lain, and Moody was looking at Harry who avoided his gaze. He had a funny feeling Moody's magical eye had followed from all the way out in the kitchen. Don't tell, Arthur. Miss Weasley was gulping now, mopping her eyes frantically with her cuffs. I don't want him to know. Being silly. Lupin handed her a handkerchief, and she blew her nose. Harry, I'm so sorry. What must you think of me, she said shakily. Not even able to get rid of a bogger. Don't be stupid, said Harry, trying to smile. I'm just so worried, she said, tears spilling out of her eyes again. Half the f family's in the order. It'd be a, be a miracle if we all came through this. And P P Percy's not talking to us. What if something dr dreadful happens? We had never made up. And what's going to happen if Arthur and I get killed? What's going to look after Ron and Ginny? Molly, that's enough, said Lupin firmly. This isn't like last time. The Order are better prepared. We've got a head start. We know what Voldemort's up to. Miss Weasley gave a little squeak of fright at the sound of that name. Oh, Molly, come on. It's about time you get used to hearing it. Look, I can't promise no one's going to get hurt. Nobody can promise that. But we're much better off than we were last time. You weren't in the Order then. You don't understand. Last time we were outnumbered 20 to 1 by Death Eaters, and they were picking us off one by one. Harry thought of the photograph again. Of his parents' beaming faces, he knew Moody was still watching him. Don't worry about Percy, said Sirius abruptly. He'll come around. It's a matter of time before Voldemort moves into the open. Once he does, the whole ministry is going to be begging us to forgive them. And I'm not sure I'll be accepting their apology, he added bitterly. And as for who's going to look after Ron and Ginny, 
If you and Arthur die, said died, said Lupin, smiling slightly. What do you think we do? Let them starve? Miss Weasley smiled tremulously again. Being silly, she muttered, mopping her eyes. But Harry closing his bedroom door behind him some ten minutes later could not think Miss Weasley silly. He could still see his parents beaming up at him from the tattered old photograph, unaware that their lives, like so many around them, were drawing to a close. The image of the bogger posing as a corpse of each member of Miss Weasley's family in turn kept flashing before his eyes. Without warning, the scar on his forehead seared with pain again, and his stomach churned horribly. "'Cut it out!' he said firmly, rubbing the scar as the pain receded again. First sign of madness. Talking to your own head,' said a sly voice from the empty picture on the wall. Harry ignored it. He felt older than he had ever felt in his life, and it seemed extraordinary to him that barely an hour ago he had been worried about a joke shop who had gotten a prefect's badge. Uh, that's a pretty massive foreshadowing moment too so it's uh yeah man and with that i'll let you uh take it away brother i mean that's the the biggest thing that you said there was right there on one page 177 when she was talking about like like half the orders like there'll be miracle they all come through it like you said last time they were picking us off one by one like so that's what i was talking about i would love to know you know what what all that came like with those sacrifices because i mean think about it he said <laughs> half the family is in the order and then not even to mention that like you're saying that's just a foreshadow even for this time around think about yeah. by the end of the book who's still in the order <laughs> like you know what i right, mean like, exactly like like yeah. she has she has valid concerns i'll say that i don't want to get too far ahead but yeah it's a lot of that just really on page 177 of order of the phoenix it really tackled a lot of things that are going to come to pass later on like you know but that's that's huge stuff um and pa- on page 179 harry dreams about the corridor again and this is again foreshadowed it's going to keep re- kind of replaying itself and also on page 180 sirius decides to escort harry to king's cross against dumbledore's advisement which again bit of a foreshadow because there's going to be repercussions that come from him escorting harry to the hogwarts express on uh, page 182 this is probably one of the bigger foreshadows in the book or at least up to this point Sturgis Podmore doesn't show up and according to Moody that's the second time in a week and people were saying how reliable Sturgis was and he's a member of the Order of the Phoenix so and he was with them when they brought Harry from the advanced guard to the Order of the Phoenix headquarters meaning like something's not right with Sturgis it's easy to gloss over but we're going to find out later on in this book what's exactly happened to Sturgis Podmore and then the last thing I have uh, in terms of foreshadowing in this section is just uh, Hermione tells Sirius that he or tells Harry that Sirius shouldn't have come with them when they're on the train itself, and there's a reason why she says it because Malfoy kind of makes a remark that lets us know uh, he knows what's going on and who the dog is in a way. So page one eighty four. They can't ride together, talking about Harry, Ron, and Hermione, in the same compartment for the first time because Ron and Hermione have to do prefect duties. So, in, in the first book, Hermione didn't really ride with Ron and Harry in the compartment, but she still like went in and like said hi to them when she was looking for Neville's toad, and that's when they met her. But this is the first time that like Harry and Ron aren't sitting in the compartment together. Or, you know, I know in Chamber of Secrets, they still drove the Ford Anglia to 
Hogwarts. Like, so Ron and Harry have been together for the ride to Hogwarts every year since they've been there. And this is the first time where they can't sit in the same compartment. So I thought that was kind of sad in a way. Like it's a, like a moving on with life type of deal. Uh, page 185, we meet Luna Lovegood for the first time. And she's a fourth year Ravenclaw. So she's in the same year as Ginny. Uh, she's in Ravenclaw, which the reason why I want to bring that up, it's not that it's necessarily important what house she's in, but when we kind of get an idea about Luna's personality, Ravenclaw usually only takes what? Like the really clever, bright students. And you don't really see heavy intelligence in the way that it you would generically think about it from Luna. She kind of believes in weird things like gnarly, like a horn-crumpled snorkax and stuff and like like uh, things that later on that she'll talk about nargles and, and mistletoes and just she's she's very spacey but she's right. in Ravenclaw and the Sorting Hat doesn't really make mistakes with where he puts students in houses so that's what I wanted to mention there and the last thing I'll say before I turn back over to Chase is that when we meet Luna Lovegood in page 185 Neville actually did not want to sit in the same compartment with Luna because like he thought that she was just a little strange, but if you guys remember what ends up happening after Hogwarts with who with Neville and Luna, it's just kind of funny how in the beginning he didn't even want to sit next to her in the compartment. So with <laughs> that, I'll I'll pass it back over to you. Yeah, no, no, I thought that was great. Um, one thing I a big part that I noticed uh, just picking up right where you left off was. Um, so she was reading upside down the quibbler, <laughs> which was um, pretty cool. Um, and of course, uh, it, I even like the way it describes her. It says, she did not seem to blink as normal humans. She stared and stared at Harry, who had taken the seat opposite of her, now wishing he had not. <laughs> like, so you're like, what is up with this weirdo? Like, what is going on? Um, and you know uh, i mean you find out that you know her father is the editor of the quibbler but she even goes had a (laughs) jenny goes had a good summer luna she says yes so luna dreamily without taking her eyes off harry yes it was quite enjoyable you know you're harry potter (laughs) she added he goes i know i am (laughs) said harry neville chuckled luna turned her pale eyes upon him instead and I don't know who you are. <laughs> like, what a way to introduce yourself. Like, it's just so strange. Like, imagine seeing someone like that out in public. Like, you're just like, <laughs> like you're so taken aback. You don't even know how to like interact with that person. Um, so I just thought that was really cool. Um, and that kind of led more into just like you said, like kind of that foreshadowing uh, with Neville there. Um, and I got, I did write down that Neville winds up, uh, he gets a, a Mimbulus, Mimbletonia, how do you say it? It's like a cactus. Oh, you got right? it, yeah. Like, that's, you got it, it's, that's exactly how you say it. Oh, okay, I just wanted to make sure my Harry Potter phonetics were on point there. Yeah, no, you, you, got, the, um, you got the word right. But, I'm proud, proud of you. <laughs> yeah, you're the man, Jay Nelly. Um but yeah, it like had like boils instead of spikes. It was disgusting. But uh, his great uncle Algy got it for him in Assyria. So it's always like funny. Like Neville's getting all these like 
he always gets like that oddball like gift like how he got the remember all in sorcerer's stone like he's always getting something different from his family so pretty interesting it kind of reminded me i guess like when i was a kid my dad used to travel all the time so like it wouldn't be anything like super expensive or anything but when he came back like i remember one time he got me like a frog that like swam in the tub when i was like three years old and i thought it was like the coolest thing just because it's like you know your family member got that for you it's not like the whole idea of what is this but like when especially when like you're a kid or something different like it's that whole excitement of like what am i getting like this is so cool um and then uh neville tells the group that i say the cactus thing the <laughs> mimbulus mimbletonia uh has an amazing defense mechanism which is pretty cool and that when touched its tongue uh shoots out liquid liquid from the boils so i thought that was pretty cool and uh harry winds up getting like a full face of it so like he gets hit with all the uh rancid manure uh the acid that smelled like rancid manure um and uh, neville tells harry that uh sink caps um are not poisonous uh even though like you know he got that whole face full of them um and well, then, so it's like, uh, if you guys think about it, like with uh, maple trees, that's what's called sap is inside maple trees. So the liquid mm-hmm. coming out of the uh, Mimbulus Mimbletonia is called stink sap. Stink sap. So stink sap, stink, meaning like it smells bad. Sap. Like, okay, sap, that's, gotcha. yeah, sap that smells bad and it's on his face. Like, so like that liquid isn't poisonous. It just smells really bad. So stink sap. Gotcha. Is, yeah, what the, yeah. Stink sap. Like stink sap. Okay, gotcha. Yep. That makes sense. Good stuff. <laughs> Uh, that, yeah, I was like, sink sap? Why would it be called that? But that that makes sense. That's good stuff. Um, and then uh, I'll leave it off here, and I'll turn it right back over to you. And But this is a foreshadowing moment. Uh, Harry wipes off his lenses, and who's standing there, of course, is Cho Chang. So that's pretty yep. cool. Uh, you know, we all know who Cho is. But um, this is typical Ron right here. This is all Ron Weasley. Um, she goes, oh, hi said harry blankly um well just thought i'd say hello by then so it's totally like such a foreshadowing moment because of course ron like comes up in the middle of him and he was basically is this that this is that moment right where he was like saying not not yet do you not really yet. support that team is not that yet. this moment right here no no it's, it's later on okay it's, gotcha i was wondering yeah. why i didn't take note of it yeah that's like one of my favorite <laughs> moments where because that's typical Ron, but yeah, this is just another little foreshadowing moment of uh, what happens. When yeah, so Ron, Ron hasn't come in yet. Him. Ron comes in like right, right as she leaves. So this part, Joe gotcha. just goes up and tries to see Harry, and like Harry's got his face covered in the sink, stink sap, and <laughs> she's like, "Oh, is this a bad time?" <laughs> like, gotcha. Then, then, then anyway, <laughs> oh, she, like, great. so she just says, "Hey, real quick," and she leaves. And then like it says in the book that Ron and Hermione appear about an hour later after that and they sit down and talk about it so um from there awesome. what i'll take is like all the prefix that were made so malfoy and pansy parkinson were made the southern prefix ernie awesome. Macmillan and hannah abbott were made the hufflepuff prefix anthony goldstein and padma patil were made the ravenclaw prefix so that's who the all prefix are and obviously hermione and ron are the gryffindor pre- prefix right so um luna actually tells them how padma had a bad time and how Ron treated her poorly because he didn't ask her to dance at the Yule Ball. So, you, like Luna, like like 
just butting into other people's business. He, she doesn't even know who Ron is yet and just throws that out to Oh, you treated her badly. Like, you didn't ask her to dance at the, at the ball. So, uh, anyways, moving on to that. Uh, I do want to read, like, the Quibbler excerpt on Sirius Black because this is kind of ridiculous. Like, like for it. <laughs> so, uh, they, this, this, this is kind of like a full circle moment, too, because you guys remember uh, and from our last episode when Kingsley Shacklebolt gave Mr. Weasley, uh, a, like, a magazine clipping and, like, said, give this to Sirius, he'll get a laugh out of this while we figure out, like, where he got it from. And so, this, uh, this excerpt is from the Quibbler and it's about Sirius Black. For 14 years, Sirius Black has been believed guilty of the mass murder of 12 innocent muggles and one wizard. Black's audacious escape from Azkaban two years ago has led to the widest manhunt ever conducted by the Ministry of Magic. None of us have ever questioned that he deserves to be recaptured and handed back to the Dementors. But does he? Startling new evidence has recently come to light that Sirius Black may not have, been, may not have committed the crimes for which he was sent to Azkaban. In fact... Doris Perkis of 18th Acanthia Way, Little Norton, Black may not even even been present at the killings. What people don't realize is that Sirius Black is a false name, says Mrs. Perkis. The man people believe to be Sirius Black is actually Stubby Boardman, lead singer of the popular singing group The Hobgoblins, who retired from public life after being struck in the ear by a turnip at a concert in Little Norton Church Hall nearly 15 years ago. I recognized him the moment I saw his picture in the paper. Now, Stubby couldn't possibly have committed those crimes because on the day in question, he happened to be enjoying a romantic candlelit dinner with me. I have written to the Minister of Magic, and I am expecting him to give Stubby, alias Sirius, a full pardon any day now. And Harry finished reading the start of the page in disbelief. Perhaps it was a joke, he thought. Perhaps a magazine often printed spoof items. And he flicked back a few pages and found the piece on Fudge. Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, denied that he had any plans to take over the running of the Wizarding Bank Gringotts when he was elected Minister of Magic five years ago. Fudge has always insisted he wants nothing more than to cooperate peacefully with the Guardians of our gold. But does he? Sources to the Minister have recently disclosed Fudge's dearest ambition is to seize control of the Goblin Gold supplies and that he will not hesitate to use force if need be. It wouldn't be the first time either, said a Ministry insider. Cornelius Goblin Crusher Fudge, that's what his friends call him. If you could hear him when he thinks no one's listening. Oh, he's always talking about goblins he's had done in. He's had them drowned. He's had them dropped off buildings. He's had them poisoned. He's had them cooked in pies. And Harry did not read any further. So That's I awesome. thought that was, <laughs> that was a little funny, all of that. And then Hermione actually insults the Quibbler. And Luna reveals that her father is the editor of the Quibbler, which is kind of a foreshadow for uh, Deathly Hallows, book seven. Uh, when we kind of meet uh, her dad, his name is Xenophilius Lovegood. I don't think there's any harm in giving you his name, but I thought that was pretty interesting that uh, he's like Luna's dad is the editor of this magazine. So all, already they're not getting off to the best of starts. Luna and the Gryffindors here, when in reality, like later in this book, she actually becomes a big part of uh, what happens, and they end up becoming really kind of close friends. Kind of very similar to what happened with. Hermione in Sorcerer's Stone with the troll. Like, after they knocked out the troll in the bathroom, they all became close friends after that. So, we're starting this right. weird kind of, like, uh, conflict between everybody as of now. But, two more things and I'll pass it over. Just on page 194, quick little foreshadow. This is what Mal this is the Malfoy thing I was talking about. Uh, I seem to have touched a nerve, said Malfoy smirking. 
Well, just watch yourself, Potter, because I'll be dogging your footsteps in case you step out of line. <laughs> so that that line there is a foreshadow. Like that kind of let Harry know he knew that Sirius is the one who escorted him there. And then just the last one is uh, when they finally get to Hogwarts. Hagrid's not there. It's Professor Grubbly Plank. She's back, which is a foreshadow for where Hagrid's not. He hasn't been arrived yet. He's still on that mission that he was given at the end of Goblet of Fire. So with that, I'll turn it back over to Chase. Yeah, man. Uh, no, you you hit the nail on the head there. The only thing I was going to say about Malfoy is typical Malfoy, the way to introduce himself. He looks at Harry and goes, Manners, Potter, or I'll have you get detention, drowled Malfoy, who's so sleek, bland hair, pointed chin, uh, just like, uh, like his father's. You see... I, unlike you, have been made a prefect, which means that I, unlike you, have power to hand out punishments. Yeah, said Harry, but you, unlike me, are a git, so get out and leave us alone. Ron, Harry, and Ginny and Neville laughed. Malfoy's lip curled. Tell me, how does it feel to be second best to Weasley, Potter? <laughs> it's like, and then they just keep going up. He's like, shut up, Malfoy, said Hermione sharply. I seem to have touched a nerve, said Malfoy, smirking. Just watch yourself, Potter, because I'll be dogging your footsteps in case you step out of line. And that's what you do, which is what you were saying. And uh, Hermione shouts at him, like, get out. But it's like typical Malfoy to, like, rub the prefect thing in Harry's face again. So just crazy, man. Uh, And you hit everything else right on the head there. Um from there, I guess I, I really would have, I mean, this is kind of a, I guess, a big moment when, uh, so, kind of step up to where you were real quick. Yeah, I kind of left um, off that where, like, they when they get off the bus, they, they don't see Hagrid there anymore. Like, he's usually the one calling the first years. They see Professor Grubbly Plank instead. That's kind of where I, gotcha. I, I left off. Perfect. Uh, the next thing I had was, uh, it really ends the chapter pretty big, but, and you know, uh, Luna's awesome, I guess because I was originally a Ravenclaw, and then maybe they kicked me out, <laughs> I guess is what happened, um, but the coaches, you know, that we've even been seeing since Goblet of Fire, um, they're no longer horseless, uh, it says they were creatures standing between the carriage, uh, carriage shafts. Uh, if he had given them a name, he supposed he would call them horses, though there was something reptilian about them, too. They were completely fleshless, their black coats clinging to their skeletons, of which every bone was visible. Their heads were dragonfish, and their pupils' eyes, white and staring, wings sprouted from each, uh, uh, each with their vast, black leathery wings that looked as though they ought to belong to giant bats. Standing still and quiet in the gathering gloom, the creatures looked eerie and sinister. Harry could not understand why the coaches were being pulled by these horrible horses when they were quite capable of moving along by themselves. And uh, then what we realize is, you know, he mentions it, like, to Jenny, and he's like, you know, what are these horse things? Like, what's going on? And basically, I won't have to. I won't read the whole thing because it's not that important. But everyone's like stunned. They're like, "What are you talking about? Like, we don't see any horses here." Um, and you know, that's when uh, they 
you know, kind of going down the page here, um, like Ron's looking back at Harry, he goes, what am I supposed to be looking at? And he goes, at the, they're, they're the, between the shafts, harder stat the coach. It's right there in front. But as Ron continued to look bemused, a strange thought occurred to Harry. Can't you see them? See what? Can't you see what's pulling these carriages? And then Ron looks seriously alarmed now. Are you feeling all right, Harry? Uh, and then Harry felt utterly bewildered. The horse was there in front of him, gleaming solidly in the dim light, issuing from the station windows behind them, vapor rising from its nostrils in the chilly night air. Yet, unless Ron was faking, and it was a very feasible uh, joke if he was, Ron could not see it all. Uh, shall we get in then? said Ron, uncertainly, looking at Harry as though worried about him. Yeah, uh, yeah, go on. It's all right, said a dreamy voice from beside Harry and Ron as she as uh, vanished into the coach's dark interior. You're not going mad or anything. I can see them too. Can you? said Harry desperately, turning to Luna. He could see the bat-winged horses reflecting in her wide, silvery eyes. Oh, yes, said Luna. I've been able to see them every time... Uh, since my first day here they've always pulled the carriages don't worry you're just uh, the same as I am smiling faintly uh, she climbed into the musty interior of the carriage after Ron not altogether reassured Harry followed her and that's on pages 197 to 199 and it's just like something strange is going on right now um, and you definitely get this feeling that uh Luna is definitely a little bit off. <laughs> like, she's not exactly normal at this point. And I know you're a sorting hat guy, man. So I'm going to I'm gonna let you take the, the next chapter. Heck yeah, stuff. dude. I love doing the sorting hat songs. <laughs> you got it. Um, a couple things I just want to mention with that, too, is just like, this. This like, I guess I'm going to save it for the plot hole section. And I think I mentioned it to you before, too. It's just one of those tough moments because, like, these horseless things that are no longer horseless carriages that are no longer horseless, and you like you describe them, they don't they don't have a name yet, so I don't want to say the name. But right, like, there's a problem with this when we figure out like how some people can see them, and like I'll talk about it in the plot holes. But, um, anyways, to kind of go on from that, uh, like, Luna actually insults Hagrid, um, kind of like they kind of pissed off everybody. Like he's like, well, he's not a very good teacher. <laughs> not a very good teacher, is he? And then, like, like her, Harry and Ron, like, immediately lose their minds. Like, oh, he's the best. Like, like and then they like, wait for Hermione, and like, she, like, takes her sweet time before she's like, oh, yes, he's very good. Like, you know, Hermione, like, basically, <laughs> Hermione basically agrees with Luna, but doesn't want to say it because, like, Harry and Ron are, because like, she she loves Hagrid, but like, she's also, like, she could have been put in Ravenclaw. You know what I mean? Like, she's not, she's not right. Dumb. She knows, she exactly. knows, she knows that uh, when it comes to actually teaching and learning from the subject that Hagrid's classes may be interesting but like they're kind of dangerous and maybe not so much of what he shows them is going to help them for their testing and things like that he just shows them to be like cool things for you to see which is awesome you know but that kind of just heavily yeah sorry Uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on this Luna seems like the girl that I mean, she's super real and just really doesn't care what anyone thinks. Like, she's just going to say whatever pops in her head. Oh, yeah. Like, one of those people. 
Absolutely. And, I, and it's like, it's, it's one of those people who doesn't have any social cues. You know what I mean? It's like, she like, right. she literally doesn't know that it's wrong. Like, like, not that it's wrong, but like, that makes people uncomfortable. Like, she just thinks <laughs> like, you know, her saying like these things is just her saying these things. Like, she thinks it's like saying the weather outside is cloudy. Like, oh, Hagrid's a bad teacher. Like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like what you say? Yeah, for sure, man. That's what I was talking about. All, all this does is kind of like probe evidence to my point that like right now when they start off, like they are not going to be friends. Isn't that, is that you don't you don't you don't think there's any chance that these guys are going to be friends? Like, you're, not, you're insulting Hagrid. Like Harry's like the guy who brought Harry into the Wizarding World. Like you know what I mean? Like so. <laughs> anyways, that's what I wanted to say there. That's great. On no, page two hundred one. Perfect. That was perfect. Uh, for sure. On page two hundred one, Harry to himself kind of questions why he could see the things that were pulling the carriages. I won't say the names yet, uh, but Ron couldn't, and that's kind of a foreshadow because we'll figure out why later on exactly some people can see them some people can't um and then at page 202 i'm going to read the last paragraph uh on this page in regards to hagrid's absence because like i had mentioned before you know hagrid was giving given us a specific task by dumbledore we don't know what it is uh but in goblet of fire he was given a specific task so right last paragraph it says there was a pause then harry said very quietly so that neville parvati and lavender could not hear Maybe he's not back yet, you know, from his mission, the thing that he was doing over the summer for Dumbledore. So that, that's just kind of putting it into perspective of why Hagrid may not be back yet. And then we also kind of have a full circle moment because this, this goes back from a chase and I brought to you last week in our episode one about uh, there being the Umbridge woman in the background uh, of the court that was trying Harry at the hearing. Well, now we got a full circle moment because the Umbridge woman from there, she's seated at the staff table. And there's really only one position that she could be there for because all the rest of the positions are filled, right? So she, she's going to be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. But I'm going to go ahead and read the Sorting Hat song uh, because I love doing the Sorting Hat song. And then I'll turn it back over to Chase here. It's all about <laughs> Page you, 204. Man. This is the song here. The, the, yeah, the whole school waited with bated breath. Then the rip near the hat's brim opened wide like a mouth and the Sorting Hat burst into song. In the times of old, when I was new, and Hogwarts barely started, the founders of our noble school thought never to be parted. United by a common goal, they had self-same yearning to make the world's best magic school and pass along their learning. Together we will build and teach, the four good friends decided, and never did they dream that they might someday be divided. For were there ever such good friends as Slytherin and Gryffindor, Unless it was a second pair, or Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. So how could it have gone so wrong? How could such friendships fail? Well, I was there, so I can tell the whole sad, sorry tale. Said Slytherin, we'll teach just those whose ancestry is purest. Said Ravenclaw, we'll teach those whose intelligence is surest. Said Gryffindor, we'll teach all those with brave deeds to their name. Said Hufflepuff, I'll teach the lot and treat them just the same. These differences caused little strife when first they came to light, for each of the four founders had a house in which they might take only those they wanted, so for instance Slytherin took only pure wizards of great cunning just like him. And of those sharpest minds were taught by Ravenclaw, while the bravest and boldest went to Daring Gryffindor. Good Hufflepuff she took the rest and taught them all she knew, thus the houses and their founders retained friendships firm and true. So Hogwarts worked in harmony for several happy years, but then discord crept among us, feeding on our faults and fears. The houses that, like Pillars 4, had once held up our school, now turned upon 
each other and divided sought to rule. And for a while it seemed the school must meet an early end, what with dueling and with fighting, and the clash of friend on friend. At last there came a morning when old Sutherland departed, and though the fighting then died out, he left us quite downhearted. And never since the founders four were whittled down to three, have the houses been united as they once were meant to be. And now the sorting hat is here, and you all know the score. I sort you into houses, because this is what I'm for. But this y'all go further, listen closely to my song. Though condemned I am to split you, still I worry that it's wrong. Though I must fulfill my duty, and must quarter every year, still I wonder whether sorting may not bring the end I fear. Oh, know the perils, read the signs, the warning history shows, for a Hogwarts is in danger from external deadly foes. And we must unite insider, or we'll crumble from within. I've told you, I've warned you, let the sorting now begin. So that, that is was the awesome. Sorting Hat song, guys. That was performed by Mr. J. Nelly83. Uh, <laughs> then uh, the one more thing I'll do before I turn back over just to talk about the Sorting Hat song is I'm going to read the second paragraph here on page 209, and it's regarding the Sorting Hat giving out school warnings. Like, Nearly Headless Nick actually says this line. Oh, yes, said Nick, who seemed glad of a reason to turn away from Ron, who was now eating roast potatoes with almost indecent enthusiasm. Yes. I have heard the hat give several warnings before, always at times when it detects periods of great danger for the school. And always, of course, its advice is the same. Stand together, be strong from within. And with that, I'm going to give it over to you, my man. Yeah, man. No, that was good stuff. That was a little bit of factor melody there, live from you Jay like Nelly. That? <laughs> little poem? Jay little Nelly poem for you? <laughs> yeah, man. No, that was good stuff. I thought you were going to hit, like, maybe Wicked Games or something there. Ah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was solid. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, the people that were sorted that I will mention are um, Evan Abercrombie and Rose Zeller. Evan went, wound up going to Gryffindor, and Rose Zeller went to Hufflepuff. Um, and so, kind of from here, you mentioned all the warnings and stuff. Um you know, they kind of wound up talking to nearly headless Nick as far as, you know, how can you know if the school's in danger? Uh, and then he even just says, like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, of course, it. he just says, like, uh, he assumes, like, with that hat being in Dumbledore's office, like, it's picking up things. Such as, uh, he does say, like... Um, as far as just with it being up there, like it's picking up on things from its surroundings. Um, and then of course, you know, you have Dumbledore that announces uh, Professor Umbridge as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. And I do want to read this speech because it just shows how pompous she is talking about interrupting Albus Dumbledore. Um, I would never even have the guts to do that. <laughs> like that is messed up and they do mention that uh you know he's so shocked actually uh because well not really even Albus is so shocked but everyone else is so shocked because (laughs) like this is the first time anyone's really interrupted him like right in the middle of his speech so uh it goes so uh Dumbledore continued tryouts for the Quidditch teams will take place on he broke off looking inquiring at Professor Umbridge, as she was not much taller standing than him. There was a moment that nobody understood why Dumbledore had stopped talking. 
But then Professor Umbridge says, <clears throat> and it became clear that she had got to her feet and was intending to make a speech. Dumbledore only looked taken aback for a moment, and then he, then he sat back down smartly and looked alertly at Professor Umbridge, as though he desired nothing better than to listen to her talk. Other members of the staff were not as adept at hiding their surprise. Professor Sprout's eyebrows had disappeared into her flyaway hair and Professor McGonagall's mouth was as thin as Harry's had ever seen. No new teacher had ever interrupted Dumbledore before. Many of the students were smirking at the woman, obviously, did not know how things were done at Hogwarts. Thank you, Headmaster, Professor Umbridge simpered, for those kinds words of welcome. Her voice was high-pitched, breathy, and little girlish again. Harry felt a powerful rush of dislike that he could not explain to himself. All he knew was that he loathed everything about her, from her stupid voice to her fluffy pink cardigan. She gave another little throat-clearing cough <clears throat> and continued, Well, it's lovely to be back at Hogwarts, I must say, she smiled, revealing very pointed teeth, and to see such happy faces looking back at me. Harry glanced around. None of those faces he could see looked happy. On the contrary, they all looked rather taken aback at being addressed as though they were five years old. I am very much looking forward to getting to know you all, and I'm sure we'll be very good friends. Students exchanged looks at this. Some of them were barely concealing grins. I'll be her friend, as long as I don't have to borrow that card again, Pavardi whispered to Lavender, and both of them lapsed into silent giggles. Professor Umbridge cleared her throat again, <clears throat> but when she continued, some of the breathless had vanished from her voice. She sounded much more busy, business-like, and now her words had a dull, learned, by heart sound to them. The ministry has always, Ministry of Magic has always considered the education of young witches and wizards to be of vital importance. The rare gifts with which you were born may come to nothing if not nurtured and honed by careful instruction. The ancient skills unique to the wizarding community must be passed down through generations lest we lose them forever. The treasure trove of magical knowledge amassed by her, our ancestors must be guarded, replenished, and polished by those who have been called to noble professional profession of teaching. Professor Umbridge paused here and made a little bow to her staff members, none of whom bowed back. Professor McGonagall's dark eyebrows had contracted so that she looked positively hawk-like, and Harry distinctly saw her exchange a significant glance with Professor Sprout as Umbridge gave a little <clears throat> and went on with her speech. Every headmaster and headmistress of Hogwarts has brought something new to the weighty task of governing the historic school, and that is as it should be, for without progress there will be stagnation and decay. There again, progress for progress sake must be discouraged, for our tried and tested traditions often require no tinkering, a balance then between old and new, between permanence and change, between tradition and innovation. Here he found his attentiveness, attentiveness ebbing, as though his brain was slipping in and out of tune. The quiet 
uh, the quiet that always filled the hall when Dumbledore was speaking was breaking up as students put their heads together, whispering and giggling over at the Ravenclaw table. Cho Chang was chatting animately with her friends. A few seats along from Cho, Luna Lovegood had got out the quibbler again. Meanwhile, the Hufflepuff table, Ernie McMillan, was one of the few still staring at Professor Umbridge. But he was glassy-eyed, and Harry was sure he was only pretending to listen in an attempt to live up to the new prefect's badge gleaming on his chest. Professor Umbridge did not seem to notice the restlessness of her audience. Harry had the impression that a full-scale riot could have broken out under her nose, and she would have plowed on with her speech. The teachers, however, were still listening very attentively, and Hermione seemed to be drinking in every word Umbridge spoke, though judging by her expression, they were not at all to her taste. Because some changes will be for the better, while others will come, in the fullness of time, to be recognized as errors of judgment, meanwhile... Some old habits will be retained, and rightly so, whereas others, outmodded and outworn, must be abandoned. Let us move forward, then, into a new era of openness, effectiveness, accountability, intent on um, preserving what ought to be preserved, perfecting what needs to be perfected, and prunning wherever we find practices that ought to be prohibited. She sat down, Dumbledore clapped. The staff followed his lead, though Harry noticed that several of them brought their hands together only once or twice before stopping. A few students joined in, but most had been taken unawares by the end of the speech, not having listened to more than a few words of it. And before they could start applauding properly, Dumbledore had stood up again. (laughs) Just like, and he says, Thank you very much, Professor Umbridge. That was the most illuminating... He said, bowing to her. Now, as I was saying, Quidditch tryouts will be held. <laughs> and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. <laughs> Dude, yeah, she, like, imagine that. Like, this new teacher comes in and has the audacity to interrupt the headmaster, someone, like, as widely respected as Albus Dumbledore, and just have him sit back down. Like, no, Mr. Dumbledore, I'm going to take a speech now. I know we didn't plan for this ahead of time, but it's my turn to talk. You sit down, sir. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> Then she goes on this big old thing, and then the, where I'm going to take over from here is basically what Hermione tells Harry and Ron, which is also a foreshadow, is that the gist of that speech is that the Ministry is going to be interfering at Hogwarts. That is the main like theme of everything that they just said. So a little foreshadow there, also just a good a big moment as well. Um, now page 215. pompous. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Sorry. And one thing I will say about the movie is that this is one of the very few people that casted very very well. Mm-hmm. She she's someone I could I could see as Professor Umbridge. Like I was thinking, you know, someone like uh, from Matilda, Mrs. Trunchbull from Matilda, but like right. that person's kind of too big and imposing. The way she's kind of describing the book is like small and toad-like. And you know what? They did an amazing <laughs> yeah. casting job with this lady who did it. So, I'll they say did. that. But mm-hmm. anyways, but we're moving on to page 215 here. Now, there's multiple t- times that Harry's noticed people whispering and talking about him, like, behind their backs, like, while well, they don't think he's paying attention. And this is just something that's going to be a recurring theme because, you know, think about it. Last June, he comes back from a graveyard holding Cedric's dead body. Dumbledore says Voldemort's back, and then, like, they just go home for, like, the next two months right. hearing, you know, then obviously, <laughs> I'm not going to get too far ahead, but, like, so now there's just a bunch of, mis- like, um, whispers, but... 
Page 216, that Mimulus Mimbletonia is actually the new password to the Gryffindor Tower, which is kind of funny. Uh, and then page 217, Seamus' mom did not want him to come back because she believes the Daily Prophet and that Harry's a liar. So, like, like they actually get into like, a big blowout fight in, like, their dorm room. And th- so Harry is, like, and Seamus are shouting at each other because... Harry feels attacked that, like, his, like, Seamus' mom, who, they got along well. Remember they met them at the World Cup? Like, right. a, a, like last book in the beginning, and they were all having a good time. Well, Harry feels, like, attacked that his mom didn't want Seamus to come back just for the fact that she didn't believe Harry. And then Harry is, like, kind of telling her his mom's wrong, and then she, he's like, don't have a go at my mother. And he's like, I'll have a go at anyone that calls me a liar. Like, they start shouting back and forth, and <laughs> Ron comes in. And kind of lays the hammer down, like, hey, I'm a prefect now, boys. You all better have some respect up in here. So uh, he kind of just puts his uh, prefect badge up there and telling him, like, hey, I can I can make life real difficult for people if you ain't, if you ain't holding true here. So <laughs> no one call anyone a liar. No one talk bad about anyone's moms. Let's, let's all do this. And Shane was like, oh, so you believe in the story? Like, absolutely I do. And Neville's mom did too. Or Neville's grandma, I should say, did too. So I th- <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, Ron pulls the prefect card like, day you one. Gotta get he respected. pulls the prefect card right <laughs> out at him. Uh, <laughs> then page 219. <laughs> I'm going to read the second to last paragraph about gra- uh, Neville's grandma supporting Dumbledore because like, Neville's grandma is actually a formidable woman and we get to meet her a little bit later on. Um, for the first time, uh, I don't want to give away where we meet her because it kind of ruins some of it. But we meet her not at Hogwarts. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, the, I want to read on page 219, second to last paragraph here. About This is Neville talking about his grandma. My grand says that it's rubbish talking about the Daily Prophet. She says, it's a Daily Prophet that's going downhill, not Dumbledore. She's canceled our subscription. We've believed Harry, he said simply. He climbed into the bed and pulled the covers up to his chin, looking owlish over at Seamus. My grand's always said, you know who would come back one day. And she says, if Dumbledore says he's back, he's back. So, that was pretty badass. Um, yeah. About that, sorry not to yeah. interrupt you, I just think, it, it, like, we really see, we've seen Neville grow a lot. Like, um, I mean, and, and that's one thing he's always really done, is he's, He's always really stuck up, um, really tried to do what's right down to its core. Even going back to Sorcerer's Stone, I mean, even when he stood up against, you know, the golden trio there, he wasn't going to pose much of a threat, but he at least, you know, found it in his heart to do it. And, um, you know, especially here, like, with the whole deal with, like, Seamus and stuff, like, he didn't pull a super bad, you know, where... uh, uh, Jonah's like uh, freaking Judas <laughs> like thanks man yeah you know you really left me out back there <laughs> so I mean uh, no he Neville steps up to the plate and I gotta give him mad respect and I, I think that's one of the reasons too like Neville and Luna was speaking kind of foreshadowing both of them but they really wind up growing on us is why is because they really do wind up sticking up for their friends and, and doing what's right and uh, just like we always say about Eddard Stark, I mean, there's nothing super special about them both, but at the same time, they're kind of like the good old boys. I mean, good old woman and boy. <laughs> Luna is a character on her own. I love Luna, but that that's one thing I will say. Like, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. 
Tehran, of course, but also Neville, like because he he really does uh, stick up for Harry here, where it's so easy to take take the easy way route and say, yeah, I don't know, man. I I just don't know. I mean, I I know what you're saying, Harry, but I mean, I I mean, I you know, <laughs> like all the people are there, like yeah, just not get involved, kind of sink back into the bushes. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, man. And I'll let you keep taking it away. I just thought that was. That was a really good point you made. Yeah, he took a stance, right? He took a strong stance. It's not like he played Switzerland and played defense, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he, did, he did take a stance. Um, continue on here right before we get into chapter 12, which will be the last chapter that we talk about today. Uh, and page 220, the very last paragraph, super important. It's uh, not only is it an impact moment, but it's also a foreshadow too. It says, they'll know we're right in the end thought Harry miserably as Ron got into bed and extinguished the last candle in the dormitory, but he wondered how many attacks like Seamus's he would have to endure before that time came. So they'll know we're right in the end, but like, you know, it's almost like, let's hope it's not too late, you know, because the whole whole point of this thing is like, we got we to jumpstart on, on Voldemort being back, like we know it, and like half the Muslim community doesn't want to believe it, so it's like, can we get to a good understanding part before it becomes too late? Like, that's just crazy, man. Um... Now we're kind of getting into page, or sorry, not page, chapter 12, which is Professor Umbridge. And I was telling Chase, and I think we mentioned it a, a few episodes back. I'm not even sure which episode we mentioned it. Chapter 12 here, there's a page in here, is actually the halfway point between uh, the start of Sorcerer's Stone and the end of Deathly Hallows. So the halfway point between the Harry Potter series is actually here in chapter 12. And that's why we want to finish chapter 12 today and, and close it out because it's the halfway point throughout the entire series that we're tackling. So. Big stuff here. Um, on page 222, I'm going to read this one about Fred and George and turn it over to Chase. Uh, but I'm just going to read the advertisement that they have for their wizarding, Weasley wizarding wheezes here. So, <laughs> big little advertisement on page 222 in chapter 12. It says, Galle- Gallons of Galleons. Pocket money failing to keep pace with your outgoings? Like to earn a little extra gold? Contact Fred and George Weasley Gryffindor Common Room for a simple part-time Virtually painless job. We regret that all work is undertaken at applicants' own risk. (laughs) So, a little advertisement (laughs) about what they're doing for their business. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chase, and he's going to kind of take us in a little bit deeper to Chapter 12. You know, see, I I feel like they should have remixed Bottoms Up for this. Galleons on galleons, pocket full of jeans. (laughs) Girl, I love it when you take it in the jeans. (laughs) That was awesome. I just feel like Fred and George should have literally done a stepbrothers thing. Like, I don't want to say boats. Like, we are uh, trying to stay as clean as possible on this show, but deadliest catch without the crabs. <laughs> like, they should have just came out of nowhere with those music videos, man. Support the shop. <laughs> Good stuff, man. And this is when my girl, you know, has to ruin the party. And, like, pulls down their sign and goes, they are the limit. We will have to talk to them because we are prefix <laughs> like talk about ruining the party man and i gotta say like you know and, and she goes it's up to the it's up to us to stop this kind of thing and it's like she's just ruining the party like that's the kind of people like she definitely deserved to be a prefect i definitely have to say that however these are the kind of people they don't want to be prefects because just it's kind of like imposing your power right it's like no one wants someone 
that like if you're gonna impose rules and stuff that's great like of course you know in the words of the joker right introduce a little anarchy like without rules there's chaos <laughs> but uh like my point here is like if you're gonna impose rules that's fine but you need to do it in a so way where you're not like imposing on people like in people's rights like all they were doing was like campaigning for their job and she's like we have to take this down this is not right and like they put <laughs> the disclaimer on there saying like applicants at their own do it at their own risk it's not like they're like promising right. anything crazy they did they did they crossed all the t's and dotted the i's man she just was a little bit of a pain in the butt <laughs> <laughs> not having it she uh, so already we've seen ron's already pulled his prefix card and now hermione's already pulled it <laughs> like come on day man. one like day one <laughs> day one man like it was way too fast um and then uh you know hermione talks about uh the daily prophet uh for a little bit and uh lavender that was talking about the daily prophet and she really does uh stick up um where i'd say you know uh ron and and harry here and she goes i told her to keep her big fat mouth shut about you actually and it would be quite nice if you'd stop uh, stop jump, uh, stop and jumped in down. Stop jumping down, Ron, in my throat, Harry. Because if you haven't noticed, we're on your side, and it's because Harry was basically, you know, he was like taking it out on them. And this is where I kind of get. This is where I kind of Harry doesn't fall on my. <laughs> I want to. Uh, Harry falls on my shit list, like in this book. Like I hate to say it. And he is the main guy. Like, you know, he's the chosen one. So you're supposed to really like Harry. I do like Harry. I just get annoyed with him in this book. I've been more annoyed with Harry in this book than any other book. Like, I love this book because of the other characters that I'm so fond of. Hermione, Dumbledore. You know, of course, Lupin and Snape are in there. Like, those are... That's my crew, man. Like, that's my crew right there. And they crush it. And then Harry, I try so hard to get on his side, and it's like he just complains all the time. Like, he can never, he can never, like, in this book, really almost, like, step up to the plate, I would say, and really be that guy that not just does what's right, but stops feeling sorry for himself and makes the best out of a situation. Like, he can never do that. And I, I understand entirely where Hermione's coming from here. And, um... She goes, she does say this on page 223. She says, don't you remember what Dumbledore said at the end of the term last year? About you know who he said. His gift for spreading discord and amenity is very great. We can fight it only by showing our qualities strong enough, or strong, by showing an equally strong bond on friendship and trust. And she makes a really good point there, like, you know, no one can get anything solved just arguing all the time, especially if it's over something as ridiculous as this. Like, I get it. It's a, it's like mudslinging your name, Harry. I get it 100%, right? Uh, but at the same time, this isn't something, like, he hasn't been dealing with for a while. Like, you should understand how to deal with it. Um, ex I mean, he's the most famous person in the entire Wizarding World. Celebrities go through this all the time. But they learn how to deal with it, and they don't take it out on their friends. Um, and Hermione winds up pointing out that Voldemort has only been back two months and they are already fighting and the Sorting Hat was warning them about this which is why 
it said to stand together united so that was a really big point there um and she says if that means we're supposed to um we're supposed to uh this is ron talking actually so if we're supposed to you know uh mate with slytherin's fat chance ron said well i think it's a pity we're not trying to fight for a bit of inner house unity said hermione crossley um and then uh so oh sorry he said to get uh yeah basically you know make friends with slytherins and then angelina winds up coming across and this is when she tells harry that she's been made quidditch captain because of course you know see you later oliver wood you're paying for playing for the semi-pro squad now so and with that i'll turn it back over to you my man for sure just to kind of re-hammer that point home that you're talking about page 223 like Hermione reminding them of Dumbledore's words and like tells them it's already happening. It is like our, that's like not even two months later, and these people are already falling apart. Like people who they got on very well with, they always got along with Lavender. Seamus lived in Harry's dorm. Like these people who are really close to them, already like split up, divided amongst each other over two months right. of him being back, and he hasn't even announced he's back yet. He hasn't had to do a thing. The Ministry's been <laughs> doing Voldemort's job for him. The Ministry has literally been helping Voldemort without realizing they're helping him. It's ridiculous. But yes, uh, Quidditch is back. Angelina Johnson's a new Quidditch captain. Oliver Woods last year was actually in Prisoner of Azkaban, but if you guys remember, in Book 4, it was the Triwizard Tournament. There was no Quidditch at all that year. So now we finally got Quidditch back. Angelina Johnson, she's the captain. Yeah, man. And then uh, we're actually, too, in page 226, reminded by Fred and George that fifth year is the owl year. Well, they'll be taking all of their tests. And, you know, Fred and George even talk about, like, make jokes about how it's so stressful. Some people, like, break out in boils. Like, some people, like, throw pass out, all that. So they give them a nice little friendly reminder there. On page 225, I have a little bit of a foreshadow moment here. Hermione's still getting the daily profit because it's best to know what the enemy are saying, talking about the ministry. And they actually find out a lot of information by continuing to get the Daily Prophet. So smart on her part. Page 227. Uh, I'm actually going to read the full page regarding Fred and George's owls and their actual aspirations. And how they thought about not coming back for their last year. Because that's going to foreshadow yeah, what happens later in this point. book. Yeah, like like this is really important for people who have different hopes and dreams than, than the crowd, man. Like this is something <laughs> we always talk about. But anyways, I'll start here at the top of page 227. Um, uh, anyway, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare of a year, the fifth, said George. If you care about the exam results, anyways. Fred and I managed to keep our spirits up somehow. Yeah, you got, what was it, three owls each, said Ron. Yep, said Fred unconcernedly. But we feel our future lies outside the world of academic achievement. We seriously debated whether we were going to bother coming back for our seventh year, said George Brettley. And now that we've got... And he broke off with a warning look from Harry, who knew George had been about to mention the Triwizard winnings he had given them. Now that we've got our owls, George said hastily, I mean, do we really need newts? We didn't think Mom could take us leaving school early, not on top of Percy turning out to be the world's biggest prat. So basically they're saying if Percy would have, would have not blown up on the family and like went away, like they might have actually not come back, period. They might not have come back to the school at all. But on top of that, like, the, adding that to Mrs. Weasley's stress levels, like, she would probably yeah. have to be put in St. Mungo's for a heart attack, you know? <laughs> so, exactly. Anyways, yeah. we're not going to waste our last year here, though, said Fred, looking affectionately around at the Great Hall. We're going to use it to be, do a bit of market research, 
find out exactly what the average Hogwarts students requires from his joke shop, carefully evaluate the results of our research, and then produce the products to fit the demand. But where are you going to get the gold to start a joke shop? asked Hermione skeptically. You're going to need all the ingredients and materials and premises too, I suppose. Harry did not look at the twins. His face felt hot. He deliberately dropped his fork and dived down to retrieve it. He heard Fred say, he overheard Fred say, Ask us no questions and we'll tell you no lies, Hermione. Come on, George. If we get there early, we might be able to sell a few extendable ears before herbology. And then Harry emerged from the table to see Fred and George walking away, each carrying a stack of toast. What did that mean, said Hermione, looking from Harry to Ron. Ask us no questions. Does that mean they've already got some gold to start a joke shop? And that's where I'll leave that part right there about Fred and George. So that that right there, you guys, it's just, it's amazing to see they had a belief in themselves. No one else really believed that they could do what they did. They they like our future lies outside academic success. We weren't even going to come back here, but unfortunately, our older brother decided to destroy the family by excommunicating himself and like living away and breaking mom's heart so we decide not to come back she would have a conniption so you know what we're just gonna make we're just gonna enjoy our last year because like they they just know they have that self-belief and i love it man it's something i i relate to very very similarly and uh so two more things and i'll get back to to chase because i'm gonna give it to chase at the part he thought was earlier with ron and cho I'm gonna go ahead. And, I'm gonna go ahead and get these two things knocked out before that moment. Page two twenty-eight. Ron and Harry talk about pursuing a career as an Auror, which is kind of cool. Uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, you know something that kind of comes up later on. Then page two twenty-nine. Hermione threatens not to lend Harry and Ron her notes this year, but Ron compliments her and she calms down. So I thought that was kind of <laughs> cool there. And with that, that's gonna be put onto page two thirty. And I'll turn it over to you there where uh, Cho kind of comes back up here for a second. So go ahead, my man. Yeah, man. Oh, no, that's awesome. Uh, just a couple things uh, before I uh, read that funny part because it reminded me so much of the Yule Ball. <laughs> really is the way it kind of reminded me. But um, just a couple things. Hermione kept bringing up she wanted to take Spew further. <laughs> like that's what she wanted in her career. So good for her. And um uh, of course, uh, I thought this was cool. Professor Ben's class, they were, he was having them write, uh, they had to like listen to a half an hour, uh, hour and a half subject on giant wars. So I thought that was just like a cool uh, thing you don't think about, you know, like a cool like fact there. Um, and uh, of course, typically, I thought this was funny because typical Ron and Harry, they made it through the class by copying Hermione's notes. <laughs> like, there you go. Um, okay, and this kind of brings us to 2.30 here. So get out my handy-dandy Order of the Phoenix book so that way I can actually read what it says. Door of the, <laughs> yeah. Ex- Door of the Explorer, my, my handy-dandy notebook. <laughs> oh, exactly. That way all our, uh, our friends in the audience don't have to listen to my improvisations, which a lot of times the improvisations, you know, I should have just wrote the book because sometimes it sounds a little better. <laughs> yeah, dither. I, that's a new word I haven't heard lately, so I'm gonna write that in the dictionary. It's like a, it's a, a combination of tither and to dive. So she must have been going to the pool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, and I'll take us from here real quick, man. So uh, she go. Cho goes, "Hello, Harry." And it was Cho Chang. And what was more, uh, she was on her own again. This was most unusual. Cho was almost always surrounded by a gang of giggles, giggling girls, 
Harry remembered the agony of trying to get her by herself to ask her to the Yule Ball. Hi, said Harry, feeling his face grow hot. At least you're not covered in stink snap this time, he told himself. Cho seemed to be thinking along the same lines. You got that stuff off then? Yeah, said Harry, trying to grin as though the memory of their last memory was funny as opposed to mortifying. So did you have a good summer? The moment he had said this, he wished he hadn't. Cedric had been Cho's boyfriend, and the memory of his death must have affected her holiday almost as badly as if it it had affected Harry's. Something seemed to taunt in her face, but she said, Oh, it was all right. You know. Is that Tornado's badge? Ron demanded suddenly, pointing out the front of Cho's robes, to which a sky-blue badge emblazoned with a double gold T was pinned. You don't support them, do you? Yeah, I do, said Cho. Have you always supported them? Or just since they started winning this league, said Ron, in what Harry considered an unnecessarily accusatory tone of voice. I've supported them since I I've supported them since I was six, said Cho coolly. Anyway, see you, Harry. She walked away. Hermione waited until Cho was halfway across the courtyard before rounding on Ron. You're so tactless. What? I only asked her if. Couldn't you tell she wanted to talk to Harry on her own? So? She could have. I wasn't stopping. What on earth were you attacking her about Quidditch team for? Attacking? I wasn't attacking her. I was only... Who cares if she supports the Tornadoes? Oh, come on! Half the people you see wearing those badges only bought them last season. But what does it matter? It means they're not real fans. They're just jumping on the bandwagon. That's the bell, said Harry dully, because Ron and Hermione were bickering too loudly to hear it. They did not stop arguing all the way down to Snape's dungeons, which gave Harry plenty of time to reflect that between Neville and Ron, he would be lucky ever to have two-minute conversation with Cho that he could look back on without wanting to leave the country. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, like, really, like, you can't pick up a... Like, you can't take a hint, man. Like, dude just doesn't stop. (laughs) Like, starts going off on bandwagon fans. Like, I don't know. Ron's just over the top sometimes. Like, completely take a shot. Entirely oblivious, (laughs) I would say. Back to you, my man. I'll let you take it from here, brother. Sure. Uh, So just to to touch on that real quick, I I just feel like guys in real life tend to do this a lot with sports teams. Like, they see a girl wearing a jersey, they like... They, like, overly question how much they actually support that team. Like, oh, well, name, like, five players on the team. And the girl's like, dude, what the heck? I'm just, sitting, I'm just sitting here with, like, this jersey. I'm like, what's it matter to you? Like, you know, I feel like guys <laughs> tend to do that to girls more often than they do it to other guys. It's really, it's it's a sad thing. We got, guys, we got we got to do better. We got to get away from that. <laughs> like, everyone's allowed to be a fan of the team they want. So we'll just put, we'll move that on. Anyways. <laughs> That's so, and think about it. Dude. That's actually that's an amazing point because it's so true. That's part of like the biasness. Like you immediately feel like the girl's only wearing that jersey just because like her boyfriend knows that jersey or something like that, or her husband knows that that team. Like when and a lot of times, actuality. Like uh, for instance, I have some friends that I know. Josh is a big. He's a Giants fan, so he's not going to like this. But I got some friends that support the Cowboys. <laughs> they supported them ever since they were kids. 
And I was like sitting here thinking at first, you know, like, oh, you just support the Cowboys because like your dad does. When actuality, nah, like he like has supported the Cowboys since day one on his own. Like his dad was actually a Washington Redskins fan, which is what's funny because you know that's how I became a Tony Romo fan. Got to see him commentate during the Super Bowl, baby. One of the legends, one of the greats, one of the greats, the Tony Romo. If you guys Romeo, can't see because you're only thou? watching on, uh, you're only listening on the podcast, uh, if you're looking on YouTube, I don't have a very happy face on right now. Uh, <laughs> the, the Dallas Cowboys are my least favorite sports franchise in all of sports, including every single one that exists. Cowboys. If you don't like so, the Cowboys, you I'm, don't like America. I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan and I'm a Giants fan, so I dislike the Red Sox, but nowhere near the amount I just loathe the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I I cannot stand them. It frustrates me to my core. Their fan base pisses me off. <laughs> like like they they won nothing since like the late nineties and they act like they're the team to beat every single year their fans do anyways and it's just it's laughable. Honestly, being a Cowboys fan is laughable to me. So I I before I, before I get actually frustrated, I'm going to continue on to <laughs> get out of this Dallas Cowboys. I, I, I gotta nonsense. say, you make some very valid points there. <laughs> you make some, and uh, I have to look from the outside because I am a diehard Falcons fan, as you all know. You know, Falcons are my one and only always. But at the same time, I will support players. So. Cause like I love players like Tom Brady. I do like Tom Brady. Not a Patriots fan, but I like Tom Brady. Cowboys. I guess I like watching him because of Dak Prescott now, and you know Tony Roma. Man, he was he was like my first love. Man, he was just tossing that pigskin, except for when he lost those two playoff games, and one was from a bad snap and the Des Bryant catch. Guy got robbed, man. That's okay because now oh, I get to see also, him. Also, like, also, Sunday. let's let's not forget that <laughs> in two thousand seven. The season where the Patriots were uh, undefeated until they played my Giants, that the Giants had to go into Dallas and beat Tony Romo at Dallas in the divisional round of the playoffs, and we did. So I'm just going to leave that there. And and for all those who are, are uh, listening to Chase right now, talking about him being a great Falcons fan, look in the bottom left drawer in his dresser, and he's got a Dallas Cowboys Tony Romo jersey. <laughs> Sacrilegious. It's above the Unbelievable. Falcons jersey. There's a Tony Romo, and then there's Matt Ryan underneath it. So Matt Ryan knows where he stands, baby. I'll say this. Last time I checked, Tony Romo dated Jessica Simpson. Did... Uh, did Eli Manning ever? Last time I checked, Tony Romo never won anything in the playoffs. So, <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> you got me there, man. It's not even worth the malice and the chalice because it's kind of hard to argue that the guy was a gunslinger. But I, but I will say this: let, let me be objective. Let me be objective and say this: as a commentator, Tony Romo is my favorite commentator. He's fantastic at what he does now. He can call plays before he sees them. It's hilarious. It's awesome to watch. He's good at his job now, but. I, I'll say I, I like him in the booth more. I like him on the field. <laughs> but quick malice in the chalice. Okay, we'll play a quickie malice, quickie malice card on Tony Romo, baby. Here's my deal, right? Okay, guy, Tony Romo, nicest guy in the world. Dude got all this criticism uh, just because he was dating Jessica Simpson, and you know everyone forgets he like came in like he was like a backup quarterback originally, and then came in earned his spot. Also, like that, like he was starting 
when Aaron Rodgers got finally pulled off the bench and came in. So Aaron Rodgers can attribute his success to wanting to compete against Tony Romo. Oh, my gosh. I will say this. <laughs> the one flaw he did have was it was an art form the way he did interceptions sometimes. I still remember the Jets game, I think, of 2007, funny that year, where he threw, like, three picks on Monday Night Football, and they were all within, like, eight minutes of the quarter. Um, but that's because he's a gunslinger, man. He would crush it. You know, it was like Tony Dedez. That was the Randy Moss to Tom Brady. You had – he knew how to use Jason Witten down the middle. That was like the Tony Gonzalez of the Dallas Cowboys for years. Dude played with a ruptured spleen. Tony Roma went back on the field with a shattered collarbone the year he lost his spot. Not because – he had played bad, but because Dak Dak in the Backstreet Boys, Dak Dak in the Funky Bunch, went and had slung it out. Because you know why? The Dak Street Boys learned from Tony Romo, and Tony was a beast. So, hearts out to Tony, man. You're still one of the greats. I mean, uh, there's Tom Brady, and then there's you, pretty much, Tony. It's just Tom Brady, and then, then underneath Tom Brady is Tony. So, uh T squared. That's where we're where we're sticking out today. Malice in the Chalice. Do you have anything to say about that, Malice? Oh, I absolutely do. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just have a, qu- a couple quick things to point out. If Tony was so good. Then how did the Cowboys do better without him when Dak Prescott was <laughs> was in there? And then on top of that, he was hurt every like third year for like the whole season. He broke his back like twelve times. <laughs> and then on top and top and top of that. And since he would took over as a starter in 2006 against the Giants, actually, uh, on a night game, uh, when LeVar Arrington sacked Drew Bledsoe in the end zone for a safety, they went into halftime, took Drew Bledsoe out, put Tony in. His first NFL pass was a pick by Antonio Pierce, our middle linebacker. First ever NFL pass in the regular season. Interception, baby. So on top of that, he had, <laughs> what, from 2006 to 2016, got 10 years in the league there. Only won one playoff game, and it was like a meaningless playoff game. Like not even like like the good one. Not even like to get to the the Super Bowl. Like it was like the divisional round that he won. Like bye bye Tony. Go to the booth. Talk about the plays. That's what you're good at because you're not good at playing the plays. And it was it, it, it was like clockwork. Anytime like Tony Romo would play amazing for like. 55 minutes and then the last five minutes he would just give the game up like clockwork baby like if you i always joked on my friends <laughs> if you had tony romo play quarters one through five minutes left in the fourth quarter then pulled him out and put tim tebow in the cowboys would be undefeated the cowboys would never lose a game <laughs> like you you but tony always gave the game up in the last five minutes of it and tebow somehow always came away with the wins in crazy games like that so Tony Romo for 55 minutes, but Tebow in for five. I always go undefeated, man. But too it's bad they don't, and they're sad, trash. Right? And let's get that Malice card out of my face because I can't talk about the Cowboys anymore <laughs> without getting the mad. Shadow Realm, man. If you're defeated on this, I can't defend that. That was that was uh, that was dead on, man. That was that was pretty good. That was, that was uh, all those were really factual, valid points. But I would say he got hurt because he was putting himself on the line for the squad. He was making sure he was there for the team. Came back from that broken clavicle bone within like three weeks. Broke it again. 
but he was still willing to come back. He didn't pull a Jay Cutler and sit on the side of the bench in the playoffs, baby. I still say if Des Bryant had caught that ball, they could have won the Super Bowl. They would have beat the Packers in the NFC Championship, and then it would have been all downhill. downhill. Tony would have had that ring he so wished, but it's okay because Tony made the sacrifice to have the Dak Street Boys today. And that's what you can think, Dallas Cowboys. It was because of Tony Romo that, well, I can't say successful franchise yet. <laughs> but yeah, all right. Okay, I'll give it to you, Jay Nelly. That was the last sad. quote I'll very give sad. you for this, Malice, the last quote I'll say is, if if ands and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. But guess what? They didn't do anything. There we go. I'm done. Yeah, you got me there. Off to the shadow realm. Overtaken by the shadows. <laughs> got myself a howler on that one. <laughs> Burned to shreds. Okay, it's all you, man. Awesome. So um, I'll go to page 232 talking about what Snape talks about his owl year and how everyone better get an acceptable, which is like... The second best after, uh, yeah. what's it called? Like the, the outstanding. So the like O's, then A's, then E's, then P's, then D's, then T's. But anyway, <laughs> um, he said, Next year, many will cease studying with him because he only uh, takes the very best into his newts potion class. I actually kind of put that as a foreshadow because, you know, with him telling me he only takes the best in the newts potion class, well, something interesting happens next year uh, when it comes to the subject of potions. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that there. And I'll say uh, Snape has them in page 232 through 233, Make the Drought of Peace, which is a very difficult fiddly potion is what uh, Harry was mentioning. And uh, on page 234, Harry forgot just one ingredient, the syrup of Hellbore, and Snape called it worthless and evaporated Harry's entire potion. He did everything right, missed one small thing. Instead of like giving him like half marks for like doing it or like like three quarters, like give him a 75. Like, nope, it's a zero, boy. You get a good old zero because I oh, hate you and your daddy. That's what Snape said. <laughs> and so with that, I'll turn so it over to you, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, by the way, we actually talked about the uh, drought of peace and um, – uh, my interesting facts uh, a few weeks ago and, and mentioned that Snape only takes the best in his newts class and um, <laughs> I do you, should we read this part it's up to you I don't have to do you want to kind of you pretty much hit it nail on the head there yeah uh, then the, the interaction with Snape yeah let's move past it we got we got the yeah, majority of the show it's not yeah. that important uh, but yeah I mean the whole point is here is you know <laughs> You know how Snape basically says, like, you're worthless. <laughs> like, you're trash, Harry. Get out of here. Yeah. And lets everyone... Like, even though his potion isn't even that bad, like, there were people that did it much worse, right? Like, he's still... Because it's Harry Potter, like, <laughs> get the F out of my face. Yep. Get out of my face. Oh, that was great. Um, but from that point... Uh, so, um, you know, uh, from that point, I really have is... I, I put Harry's an ass, but that's basically, you know, um, the, he's talking back to Ron and Hermione again, where they're talking about Snape, and uh, they were like, you know, I did think he'd get a bit better this year, uh, and they were like, you know, poisonous toadstools don't change their spots, said Ron savagely, but they're talking about Snape here, and then Harry just, like, goes off on them, again, like, being a 
like just feeling some kind of way like i don't know if he like needs to go on antidepressants or something or what his deal is but he goes can you two give it a rest you're always having a go at each other and it's driving me mad after abandoning his shepherd's pie he uh he, he and his uh school he swung his school bag and then left them sitting there and like it's like they were like almost like trying to make him feel better about the situation and he just like goes off again like being like a brat like literally just swings his school bag he's like see you later alligator like i'm done with done with your shit today i'm not gonna be putting up with it and like you know it, this is really when i like i'm like I've had enough with this dude. Like, this dude, like, I don't care how bad your scar burns. I don't care who you've been through. I'm sick of it. Like, I'm tired of it. Um, and, you know, they were just, like, shocked, basically. Um, and then uh, he even thinks to himself, like, serves them right, he thought. Why can't they give it a rest, bickering at, at the time? It's enough to drive anyone up a wall. And uh, on the way back, I thought it was cool. Like, Sir Cardigan, like, drew his sword. Like, we haven't heard about him in a long time since he got fired, remember, in Azkaban. And he was like, uh, come back, you scurly dog. Fight. And then Harry, once again, is an ass. Just, like, ignored him and storms off. Like, come on, dude. Uh, and then in Trelawney's class, like, you know, this is when, and then I'll turn it back over to you in just a minute, but, uh, you know, her, Ron walks up to Harry and like this is when you tell like these two have pretty much had enough of like this dude like just being a tool all the time he goes Hermione and me have stopped arguing he said sitting down beside Harry Harry is still pissed like the emo um Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man 3 good <laughs> just gruntled but Hermione says she thinks it would be nice if you stopped talking out your temper at us said ron i'm not i'm just passing on the message said ron talking over him but i reckon she's right it's not our fault uh it's not our fault that seamus and how seamus and snape treat you i never said it good day said professor trelawney as she's like interrupting there but it like just goes to show like finally at this moment like good for ron like you know, Ron and Hermione are pulling their prefect badges. Like, they're finally standing up to the one person that's been, like, their leader the whole time, taking the reins. Like, you know, I don't care who you are. Like, I understand, like, you're in a, a very unique situation that no one can relate to, but it still doesn't give you the right to talk to us like that. Um, so, I gotta say, you know, Ron really stepped up to the plate here. Uh, and... You know, Hermione's been doing the same thing. So, with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Like, I feel like Harry's about to put on that that black eyeliner and just look <laughs> into the, the mirror of her eyes all day. <laughs> yeah, man. And with that, it's back to you, Jay Nelly. So, let's take a look here. What I got, like, so I for the moment for, for me, like, I didn't really find anything in the divination class important to the storyline. Mm -hmm. The only thing I wrote down for the divination class part was like Harry was unwilling to share his dreams. And, like, that has right. a lot to do with, like, the kind of dreams he was having. Not only with, like, Voldemort and killing Cedric in the graveyard, but that dark corridor with the doors thing that he keeps kind of seeing periodically as well. So from there, I kind of put it into where we finally get into Dolores Umbridge's class. And the first thing that Umbridge writes on the board is, Defense Against the Dark Arts, a return to basic principles. 
So we're returning to basic principles. Like they're like last year they were seeing a fake Professor Moody performing like Avada Kedavra on a spider, like killing him, like like <laughs> right. doing all these crazy things, putting them under the Imperious curse. All these things are super useful, even though it was a madman doing it. Like it was all stuff that helped him learn. Now she's like, oh, no, we're going to take it from the beginning. Like, I know it's your year to learn for the, the owls, but guess what? You ain't learning anything except the, the theory. So I'm going to read the core aims. The core aims are, number one, understanding the principles underlying defensive magic. Number two, learning to recognize situations in which defensive magic can be legally used. And number three, Placing the use of defensive magic in context for practical use. So, long story short, a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> like, it's like, right. like, it is nonsense for what her exactly. course aims and what she wants to do. So, on page 241, Hermione kind of has a battle of wills with Umbridge, who finally acknowledges her. Because, like, remember, she's like, had their hand up, raised there, and she was, like, not looking at her, doing all things to avoid that hand, and finally. Like Umbridge is like 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 fine like like let like let's see what this question is here, so it says she said do you want to ask something about the chapter dear she asked Hermione as though she'd only just noticed her not about the chapter no said Hermione he's like well we're reading just now said Professor Umbridge showing her small pointed teeth if you have any other queries we can deal them at the end of class I've got a query about your course aims said Hermione <laughs> Professor Umbridge raised her eyebrow and your name is Hermione Granger. Well, Miss Granger, I think the course aims are perfectly clear if you read them thorough, if you read them through carefully," said in a uh, voice of determined sweetness. "Well, I don't," said Hermione bluntly. <laughs> "There is nothing written up there about using defensive spells." And what I'm actually going to do is I'm actually going to read through the rest of the the chapter Go here, just because I actually hacked what I have in my notes. The next three pages to the kill of the chapter are super yeah. important. So I'm going to actually just go ahead and read it through. It said, There was a short silence in which many members of the class turned their heads to frown at the three course aims still written on the blackboard. Using defensive cells, said Professor Umbridge repeatedly with a little laugh. Why, I can't imagine any situation arising in my classroom that would require you to use a defensive spell, Miss Granger. You surely aren't expecting to be attacked during class. We're not going to use magic, Ron ejaculated loudly. I don't know why that why they put ejaculated loudly. That's interesting word there. But <laughs> Take cover, it is a, page two two forty two chapter twelve like the third paragraph. We're not going to use magic. Ron ejaculated loudly. Interesting. <laughs> ejaculated loudly. Um, students raised their hand when they wished to speak in my class. Mister Weasley said. Ron thrusting his hand into the air. Professor Unbridge, still smiling more widely, turned her back on him. Harry and Hermione immediately raised their hands too, and Professor Umbridge's pouchy eyes lingered on Harry for a moment before she addressed Hermione. Yes, Miss Granger, you wanted to ask something else? Yes, said Hermione. Surely the whole point of defense against the dark arts is to practice defensive spells. Are you a ministry-trained educational expert, Miss Granger? Said Professor Umbridge in her falsely sweet voice. No, but, well, then I'm afraid you're not qualified to decide what the whole point of any class is. Wizards much older and cleverer than you have devised our new program of study. You'll be learning about defensive school spells in a secure, <laughs> risk-free way. What use is that? said Harry loudly. If we're going to be tacked, it's not. It won't be in a hand, Mister Potter. Saying Professor Umbridge, <laughs> Harry thrust his fist in the air, and Professor Umbridge promptly turned away from him again. But now several other people had their hands in the air too. 
And your name is? Professor Umbridge said to Dean. Dean Thomas. Well, Mr. Thomas. Well, it's like Harry said, isn't it? If we're going to be attacked, it won't be risk-free. I repeat, <laughs> Professor Umbridge smiling in a very irritating fashion at Dean. Do you expect to be attacked during my classes? No, but, Umbridge talked over to him. I do not wish to criticize the way things have been run with this school. She said in an unconvincing smile, stretching her wide mouth. But you have been exposed to some very irresponsible wizards in this class. Very irresponsible indeed. Not to mention, she gave a nasty little laugh, extremely dangerous half-breeds. If you mean Professor Lupin, piped up Dean Thomas angrily, he was the best we ever hand, Mr. Thomas. <laughs> As I was saying, you have been introduced to spells that have been complex, inappropriate to your age group, and potentially lethal. You have been frightened into believing that you are likely to meet dark attacks every other day. No, we haven't, Hermione said. We just, your hand is not up, Miss Granger. <laughs> Hermione put her hand in the air. Professor Umbridge turned away from her. It is my understanding that my predecessor not only performed illegal curses in front of you, he actually performed them on you. Well, he turned out to be a maniac, didn't he? Said Dean Thomas. Mind you, we still learn loads. Your hand is not up, Mr. Thomas, trilled <laughs> Professor Umbridge. Now it is the view of the ministry that a theoretical knowledge will be more than sufficient to get you through your examination, which, after all, is what school is all about. And your name is? She added, staring at Pravati, whose hand had just shot up. Parvati Patil, and isn't there a practical bit in our defense against the Dark Arts Owl? Aren't we supposed to show that we can actually do the counter curses and things? As long as you've studied the theory hard enough, there is no reason why you should not be able to perform the spells under careful, controlled examination conditions, said Professor Umbridge dismissively. Without ever practicing them before, said Parvati incredulously. Are you telling us that the first time we'll get to do the spells will be during our exam? I repeat... As long as you study the theory hard enough. And what good's theory going to be in the real world, said Harry loudly, his fists in the air again. Professor Umbridge looked up. This is school, Mr. Potter, not the real world, she said softly. So we're not supposed to be prepared for what's waiting out there? There is nothing waiting out there, Mr. Potter. Oh, yes, said Harry, his temper, which seemed to be bubbling just beneath the surface all day, was reaching a boiling point. Who do you imagine wants to attack children like yourselves, inquired Professor Umbridge in a horribly honeyed voice. Hmm, let's think, said Harry in a mock, thoughtful voice. Maybe Lord Voldemort? <laughs> Ron gasped. The Lavender Brown uttered a little scream. Neville slipped sideways off his stool, and Professor Umbridge, however, did not flinch. She was staring at Harry with a grimly satisfied expression on her face. Ten points from Gryffindor, Mr. Potter. The classroom was silent and still. Everyone was staring at either Umbridge or Harry. Now, let me make a few things plain. Professor Umbridge stood up and leaned toward them, her stubby finger displayed on her desk. You've been told that a certain dark wizard has returned from the dead. He wasn't dead, said Harry angrily, but yeah, he's returned. Mr. Potter, you've already lost your house ten points. Do not make matters worse for yourself, <laughs> said Professor Umbridge in one breath without looking at him. As I was saying... You have been informed that a certain dark wizard is at large again. This is a lie. It is not a lie, said Harry. I saw him. I fought him. Detention, Mr. Potter, said Professor Umbridge triumphantly. Tomorrow evening, 5 o'clock, my office. I repeat, this is a lie. The Ministry of Magic guarantees you are not in danger from any dark wizard. If you are still worried, by all means come and see me outside class hours. If someone is alarming you with fibs about reborn dark wizards, I would like to hear about it. I am here to help. I am your friend. And now you will con kindly continue your reading 
page five, basics for beginners. <laughs> Professor Umbridge sat down behind her desk again. Harry, however, stood up. Everyone was staring at him. Seamus looked half scared, half fascinated. Harry, no! Hermione whispered in a warning voice, tugging at his sleeve. But Harry jerked his arm out of her reach. So according to you, Cedric Diggory dropped dead of his own accord, did he? Harry asked with his voice shaking. There was a collective intake of breath from the class, for none of them apart from Ron and Hermione had ever heard Harry talk about what happened on the night Cedric had died. They stared avidly from Harry to Professor Umbridge, who had raised her eyes and was staring at him without a trace of a fake smile on her face. Cedric Diggory's death was a tragic accident, she said coldly. It was murder, said Harry. He could feel himself shaking. He had hardly talked to anyone about this, least of all 30 eagerly listening classmates. Voldemort killed him, and you know it. Professor Umbridge's face was quite, quite blank. For a moment, he thought she was going to scream at him. Then she said in her softest, most sweetly girlish voice, Come here, Mr. Potter, dear. He kicked his chair aside, strode around Hermione and Ron, and up to the teacher's desk. He could feel the rest of the class holding its breath. He felt so angry, he did not care what happened next. Professor Umbridge pulled a small roll of pink parchment out of her handbag, stretched it out on the desk, and dipped her quill in into a bottle of ink and startled scribbling, hunched over so that Harry could not see what he was writing, what she was writing. Nobody spoke. After a minute or so, she rolled up the parchment, tapped it with her wand. It sealed itself seamlessly so he could not reopen it. Take this to Professor McGonagall, dear. Professor Umbridge holding out the note to him. And he took it from him without saying a word, turned on his heel and left the room, not even looking back at Ron and Hermione, and slamming the classroom door shut behind him. He walked very fast along the corridor, the note to McGonagall clutched tight in his hand, and turned around a corner, walking slap into, uh, into Peeves the poltergeist, a wide-faced little man floating on his back in midair, juggling several inkwells. Why, it's Potty Wee Potter, cackled Peeves, allowing two of the inkwells to fall to the ground, where they smashed and spattered the walls with ink. Harry jumped backwards out of his way. Get out of it, Peeves. Ooh, crackpot's feeling cranky, said Peeves, pulling, pursuing Harry down the corridor leering as he zoomed above him. What's it this time, my fine potty friend? Hearing voices? Seeing visions? Speaking in... Peeves blew a gigantic raspberry. Tongues? <laughs> I said leave me alone, Harry shouted, running down the nearest flight of stairs. But Peeves merely slid down the banister beside him. Oh, most think he's barking, the potty wee lad. But some more kindly and think he's just sad. But Peeves he knows better and says that he's mad. Shut up! A door to his left flew open. Professor McGonagall emerged from her, grim, from her office looking grim and slightly harassed. What on earth are you shouting about, Potter? She snapped as Peeves cackled gleefully and zoomed out of sight. Why aren't you in class? I've been sent to see you, said Harry stiffly. Sent? What do you mean, sent? He held out the note from Professor Umbridge. Professor McGonagall took it from him, frowning, and slid it open with a tap of her wand, stretched it out, and began to read. Her eyes zoomed from side to side behind the square spectacles as she read what Umbridge had written. And with each line, they became narrower. Come in here, Potter. He followed her inside her study. The door closed automatically behind him. Well, Professor McGonagall said, rounding on him, is this true? Is what true, Harry asked, rather more aggressively than he intended. Professor, he added in an attempt to sound more polite. Is it true that you shouted at Professor Umbridge? Yes, said Harry. You called her a liar? Yes. You told her that he must not be named his back? Yes. <laughs> Professor McGonagall sat down behind her desk, watching Harry closely, then said... Have a biscuit, Potter. Have what? Have a biscuit, she repeated impatiently, indicating the tartan tin of cookies lying on top of the piles of paper on her desk, and sit down. There had been a previous occasion when Harry expected 
to be uh, caned by Professor McGonagall had instead been appointed by her to the Gryffindor Quidditch team. He sank into a chair opposite her and helped himself to a ginger newt, feeling just as confused and wrong-footed as he'd done on that occasion. Professor McGonagall set down Professor Umbridge's note and looked very seriously at Harry. Potter, you need to be careful. Harry swallowed his mouthful of ginger newt and stared at her. Her tone of voice was not at all what he was used to. It was not brisk, crisp, and stern. It was low and anxious and somehow much more human than usual. Misbehavior in Dullers Umbridge's class could cost you much more than house points and a detention. What do you... Potter, use your common sense, snapped Professor McGonagall with an abrupt turn to her usual manner. You know where she comes from. You, kn you must know to whom she is reporting. The bell rang for the end of the lesson. Overhead and all around there came elephant sounds of hundreds of students on the move. It says here she's giving you detention every evening this week, starting tomorrow, Professor McGonagall said, looking down at Umbridge's note. Every evening this week? Harry repeated horrified. But Professor Umbridge... I mean, Professor, couldn't you? No, I couldn't, said Professor McGonagall flatly. But she is your teacher, and she has every right to give you detention. You will go to her room at 5 o'clock tomorrow for the first one, and just remember, tread carefully around Dullers Umbridge. But I was telling the truth, said Voldemort, said Harry outraged. Voldemort's back. You know he is. Professor Dumbledore knows he is. For heaven's sake, Potter, said Professor McGonagall, straightening her glasses angrily, because she had rinsed horribly at when she had used Voldemort's name. Do you really think it's about truth or lies? It's about keeping your head down and your temper under control. She stood up, nostrils wide and mouth very thin, and he stood too. Have another biscuit, she said irritably, thrusting the tin at him. No thanks, said Harry coldly. Don't be ridiculous, she snapped, and he took one. <laughs> thanks, he said grudgingly. Didn't you listen to Dollar's Umbridge's speech at the start of term feast, Potter? Yeah, said Harry. Yeah, she said progress will be prohibited or... Well, it meant, it meant that the Ministry of Magic is trying to interfere at Hogwarts. Professor McGonagall eyed him closely for a moment, then sniffed, walked around her desk, and held the door open for him. Well, I'm glad you listened to Hermione Granger at any rate, she said as she pointed him out of her office. And that takes us through the end of the chapter, 12 there into chapter 13. But, man, there was a lot to unpack in that chapter, right? Like, damn, Professor Umbridge and Harry having like a shouting match in front of the whole class. You know that's going to spread across the school like wildfire. Like, Harry tells them, not exactly what happened, but basically let's everyone know that Voldemort murdered Cedric. She's like, nah, you're a liar, little boy. You got detention. You're going to serve this detention. Go to Professor <laughs> McGonagall. He goes to McGonagall, and she kind of takes Harry's side, but still, like, re remains professional. And it's like, no, you're going to do these detentions. What you did, you shouldn't be yelling at a teacher. You're going to do this. But be careful, because, like, being, like, messing around with Mrs. Umbridge here could cost you more than house points and attention you know like she works for the ministry of magic she can make life very difficult for us here you know what that speech was about and harry's like oh yeah hermione said something about interfering with, with hogwarts she's like well i'm glad you listened because yeah you better very get it together because as we come to find out later in this book that's exactly what happened she gets a lot of power in a short amount of time and makes some crazy changes so that's where we'll leave the favorite moments there with the uh the some of the foreshadowed events kind of sprinkled in through there and that kind of takes us into the potential plot holes. But before I get there, was there anything that you wanted to touch on uh, right before we get to the plot hole that I, I had kind of drawn up for us? Uh, you crushed it, man. Uh, the only thing I was going to say was like how I've been saying how Aries, you know, <laughs> really been an ass this whole episode that we've been talking. Like, I'm glad McGonagall put him in his place because you see just like you were saying he was so confused because he thought mcgonagall was just going to be all for him all on his side there and it was all about truth and lies and he's 
entirely missed the point the whole time. And it really relates even to where he's just gone off on Hermione and Ron. Like, he needs to control himself better. And it even goes to the point of when Lupin and Sirius were talking to him all the way back at the burrow about the Order of the Phoenix. Number 12 at like, Grimwald well, Place. They, were, they weren't at the burrow. They were at Grimwald Place. Oh, sorry. Grimwald's Place. Yeah, we go to the burrow so many times <laughs> all the time. It was like, oh, they must have been at the burrow. Yeah, Grimwald's Place, even though we just spent like <laughs> 10 chapters talking about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Grimwald's Place. Um, when Sirius and Lupin were with him, and that's really, I think, what made them stop talking to Harry for a minute and realizing like he hasn't matured up yet was he was like, I just want to join. Like he needs to learn to cool himself. And it's not been about whether he's right or wrong. We're not ever saying he's wrong about his opinions. It's just the fact of the way he handles himself. You can definitely still see where he's still in that maturing uh, age. Like he's not quite there yet. And I think McGonagall is really helps him wake up at this point um and and so i i thought that was a good point the other little thing i was just going to mention was back in trelawney's class the only really thing i wrote down there was ron has a dream about quidditch so that was kind of a foreshadowing moment uh but other than that man i i thought you crushed it awesome so that would kind of bring us over to the next thing in our on our outline is the potential plot holes and discrepancies and I can't say the name of these things yet because it hasn't been mentioned in the book, so I don't want to, you know, ruin anything. But those things that were carrying the uh, Hogwarts carriages for the first, like, like you know, like um, to get them up to the castle. So like the horseless carriages that weren't hor- horseless anymore. Harry should have been able to see them, like like he should have already been able to see them from day one. And this is a tough plot hole to really describe in depth here, just because. We don't even know why some people can see them and who can't yet. That hasn't been explained. And because it hasn't been explained, I feel bad kind of giving the evidences to why I think Harry should have been able to see them. But if you are one of the people who has read this series before, have watched the movies, and you know what these things are, and you know why some people can and can't see them, let's just say that Harry watched at one year old in his own eyes what happened to his mom right that's the like, one of the first memories he's got to have he even thinks about back you know when the dementors were attacking him in prisoner of azkaban how he would see flashes of green light so he like remembers that moment you know it maybe not all detail but he saw what happened to his mom at one years old so realistically he should have been able to see these these uh things that are carrying the horseless carriages from the very very beginning so that's just the plot hole that i saw do you agree with me do you have any additional ones you want to add what are your thoughts on it no that was the only thing i came up with my way i could make light of it like um i guess i would say make it so it's understandable uh without giving things away basically the way I was looking at it is as far as when he was a baby and he saw Lily and James killed in front of him, it was still different than seeing a ghost for what happened in that graveyard. So that might be a little bit of a difference turner there. Like maybe you have to have actually passed on, but then some people will have said, well, he saw his parents in the mirror of Era said, well, at the same time, that was just a reflection. 
So but to my ar- kind of th- argue that point there, Luna's able to see them. You know what I mean? And right. She yeah. she saw what happened to her mom. Not to give anything away, but like she saw what happened to her mom, and it's not like she saw like a, an apparition of her afterwards or anything like that. You right. Know what I mean. Yeah, I gotta say that was the plot hole I wrote down because I couldn't. I mean, it's kind of funny too. It, the book kind of makes you almost, which we don't want to give anything away, but I'm sure a lot of people know because this is a major point. Uh, they looked awesome in the film, by the way, too. Like the yeah, way they look in the film is awesome. That is one thing the film has done good. Like that is one thing the film has done good. And I gotta say, the actress that played Luna, I, I think really like hit her pretty much spot on like i think they did two really good castings here and that was umbridge and luna for the film uh but that's just my opinion on that um but i would i was thinking the same thing so i i think it's almost like you kind of gloss over that because you're so into reading the description on these things because they're such cool magical creatures um that people forget about that like why wasn't this noticed uh in the last book (laughs) so that's that's a really good point you made i had the same issue with it awesome so that will bring us to our interesting facts where we'll after this we'll we'll leave it off for this week before we tackle uh, episode three next week and that will uh that'll be the next thing that we do in order but so my singular interesting fact and i'll just go first because it takes me like i said all 12 seconds to do an interesting fact on my <laughs> end good, man. mine is uh we just kind of mentioned it too is uh, number 12 grimald place just a little bit about uh that that location as itself so some cool things here about uh number 12 grimald place that you some of it you hear in the book some of it you don't um it's the ancestral home of that black family it's actually located in Barrow of islington in london so that's the actual city where it's located uh, it's in a, Muggle, uh, in a Muggle neighborhood, and the location is protected by a Fidelius charm. That's one of the things that's used to protect the location, so, you know, the Death Eaters in Voldemort can't find it. Uh, in 1995, it became uh, headquarters to the Order of the Phoenix with the consent of Sirius Black, with Albus Dumbledore becoming the secret keeper. So that was that, that's kind of the reason why it was given to Sirius Black is because he was the next head of family that it would fall into because the early history of it... Uh, it was it was under Wahlberg of Black, which is Sirius's mom. So she took a possession at the mid twentieth century. Century and Sirius and his brother Regulus grew up in Number Twelve Grimald Place. Sirius actually ran away from home in around nineteen seventy six at age sixteen, and both Regulus and Orion died just a few years later. And this left Wahlberg living in the house alone with the family house of creature. And upon Wahlberg's death in nineteen eighty five, the house passed to her only living descendant, Sirius, who. He had been blasted off the family tree there. So, since Sirius was an Azkaban, the house sat empty for 10 years with only Creature, uh, who had gone round the twist to look after it. And uh, Wahlberger Black made her disgust of having anyone less than pure blood in her home very clear through the shrieks of hostile shrieks of her portrait, which was permanently fixed to the wall with a permanent sticking charm. So, think about it this way. Creature had 10 years alone in that house with a screaming portrait of uh, Sirius's mom who was like being tortured screaming these things and that kind of uh, leads up to why Creature is the way he is there's other things that go into it too that you'll talk about later on for interesting facts that you talked to me about a little bit but there's a lot of things that kind of lead Creature to becoming the kind of person that he is and not not the least of which is living 10 years in a house alone with a screaming portrait <laughs> like so right <laughs> exactly um, but anyways, uh, that's, that, awesome. that's the before. Uh, that's what we'll 
where I'll leave tw number 12 Grimoire Place off of as of where we're at right now underneath Sirius Black. There's some more that goes later on that I'm not going to say as of today, but that's a little bit about the interesting fact of where it started, where it's located, who it was underneath before Sirius, and how it got passed down to Sirius. So a little bit of interesting stuff about number 12 Grimoire Place, and I'll let you finish up with your interesting fact today. Yeah, man, that was awesome. Uh, actually, I, I kept mine really short, too. Like, it's probably shorter than that. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, Yeah, man, now that we got... Um, I throw in my little bonus special feature episode <laughs> every, like, midweek. Um, but I, I thought it was really cool you said that. And uh, I mentioned it on interesting facts. I didn't tell him what happened. I just said I'm going to bring this up in Half-Blood Prince. So just remember that locket that we mentioned in Grimwald's place because... Of course, you find out more about the locket in Hollows, but how it got to Grimwald's place is very interesting. So always remember uh, that locket there, and we'll talk about that in Half-Blood Prince. Uh, my interesting fact is really easy. It's on um, the Hobgoblin Band and, of course, uh, the Quibbler article that came out on it. So uh, you killed it. You crushed it on um, our episode today because, uh, as you mentioned, just like you were saying, you know, Sirius is the one that they figure is uh, Stubby Boardman, and, you know, he was hit by that turnip <laughs> uh, during the concert, which his last concert was at Little Norton Church Hall in 1980, actually, um, which uh, uh, the person you were talking about, Perkis, it's thought to be uh, Mina Lima, like you were saying, that was in disguise for the Quibbler, but the Quibbler uh, was published by Zinnafish Love. Uh, Zenof how do you say it? Xenophilius. Xenophilius. Yeah. I it, his name? Sorry, my bad. I'm terrible at names. It's uh, Xenophilius. Xenophilius. There you go. Uh, Lovegood, which of course is, you know, Luna's dad. Uh, he. It's usually the quibbler is contributed to more of like theories and thoughts sort of thing in eccentric beliefs. Um, they let the public know the truth but it's very based on a lot of opinions as well so that's why the quibbler usually gets a lot of really a lot of um i guess i don't want to say like slack for it but really like you know that's why some people are against the quibbler so much and of course they turn more towards the daily prophet which is a little bit more ironic because the Daily Prophet definitely gives a lot more opinion, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, and, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, that, of course, you know, they said that uh, Perkis thought, you know, or accused Sirius of having that romantic relationship dinner, romantic dinner on opposably the night that he was accused of murdering Peter, Peter Pettigrew and 12 Muggles that we talked about back in Azkaban. So. Yeah, that's my interesting fact. If y'all want to hear more, I'll try to have some more put together uh, by uh, midweek this week. Usually I release them on Wednesday. Just kind of some extra bonus stuff in there for you. Um, I did bring up, like, I was kind of thinking about, like, who would be good cast members for Ron, Hermione, and Harry? And I still couldn't think of any. I was thinking of even of like Millie Bobby Brown would be like a good Hermione, but she's too old now. And I mentioned that on our, uh, when I did my bonus episode, but yeah, just as we're signing off here, is there anyone that like, cause I'm really having to kind of like think about this. I just thought they would have to get like 
really nobodies and we would have to grow up with them what are your thoughts on that i think that's exactly what we would have to do we have to get some people that aren't known because no one really knew who emma watson daniel radcliffe or rupert grant were before the harry potter series that's what made them so like i think that's what you got to do i think you got to find people who you who aren't well known and who match the characteristics of how they're described in the book so i don't have anyone that comes to mind i would just think that we start brand new and uh and make this, the HBO TV series what it needs to be in terms of telling the story of the books better than the movie's done. So that's right. my opinion. 100%. Yeah, man, with that, I'll let you uh, break us down here. Sounds good. Yeah, guys, so thanks again for tuning in. Uh, again, today we've, t- we've tackled uh, chapters 9 through chapters 12. Uh, so next week we're going to be getting into chapters 13, Detention with Dolores through chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army. Leaving off there is an awesome place. Uh, I, I, I did my stuff ahead of time, so I already know what's going to happen there. I got some good stuff for you. Uh, stuff we always say before we break down is, uh, you know, thanks. Number one, thanks for the reviews that are left by everybody. Thanks for checking out our all of our episodes and continuously following us along as we make it through this series. Um, so please give us a, a like, a follow, a subscribe. You can find us at uh, Official Ridiculous Patronus on Instagram, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy fan page on Facebook. We've got uh, RP Factor Fantasy as our Twitter handle. We're on LinkedIn. We're on any place you can find us on the social network areas. Well, we have a TikTok account. Still haven't created anything for it. Just kind of brainstorming ideas of what would make sense to to do on that platform. But outside of that, uh, you got at rbrow129 over there for Chase, at jnelly83 for me, on my Instagram. Those are our personal ones. But outside of that, guys, thank you for the, for the continued support. And uh, tell your friends, uh, hide your kids, hide your wife, tell them all about Chasing Josh Factor Fantasy. <laughs> hide your kids, uh, <laughs> hide your wife. That's a so, TikTok right there, man. Right? So <laughs> yeah. thanks a lot, guys, for, for the continued support. And please uh, follow along, subscribe, and it allows us to continue doing what we do here. Uh, but this is all that you guys get for today because, you know, this has been another ridiculous production. Halfway point. Chasing Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off.